It's time debit card users are also included in the cashback fun. Now everyone can get cashback on everyday purchases with Discover Cashback Debit. That includes no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey. Work it, make it, do it, make sense. Work it, make it, do it, make sense. Work it, make it, do it, make sense. Harder, better, faster, stronger. Work it, harder, make it better. Do it faster, make sense. Stronger, more than ever. After power, work is never over. Work it, harder, make it better. Do it faster, make sense. Stronger, more than ever. After power. Tell by your charm and your arm, but I'm looking for the one. Have you seen her? My psychic told me she had have a text arena. Trina, Gina, for Lopez, four kids. And I gotta take all they bad to show this. Okay, get your kids. But then they got their friends. I pulled up in the bins. They all got a pin. We all went to den. And then I had to pay. If you're fucking with this girl, then you better be paid. You know why? Take too much to touch her. From what I heard, she got a baby, my buster. My best friend said she used to f with Usher. I don't care what none of y'all say, I still love her. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger, uh. But she ain't messing with no broke, broke, uh. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger, uh. Get down, girl, gon' hit, get down. Get down, girl, gon' hit, get down. Get down, girl, gon' hit, get down. Get down, girl, gon' hit. Get down, girl. Go ahead. Get down. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. I am Ryan Bailey. This is Tuesday. You're listening to this on Tuesday or maybe when you can listen to this any day of the week. I can imagine somebody listening to this weeks later and being very confused. It's Tuesday. Oh, my God. Um, How is everybody doing? Wasn't yesterday's show great? I love talking pop culture with Sophie Ross and we have had so many amazing developments in this last day. Um, Demi Lovato has gone even harder in on that yogurt shop. Um, at the same time, trying to explain herself in an eight and a half minute video posted to her Instagram, which you can find. And she promises to do her part with the small yogurt shop in uh, Los Angeles and said she would like to work with them on the messaging of these products uh, and maybe, you know, uh, bigger signs that say gluten-free or, you know, diabetes or celiac or whatever, uh, which is, you know, bizarre in its own way. And, and I'm sure Demi thinks she's being helpful, but it, it, it's very interesting how she deals with this situation. And I, you know, it is one of those things. I'm I, I'm sure we'll hear more about this, but Demi versus uh, Froyo 
is definitely something. You know what? I did expect that out of 2021. I, you know, nothing is too weird or unheard of. Um, but I was talking about this on the page. I, I did a Patreon episode, a summer house recap with Emily Clayton that I just released tonight. And we were talking about it. And I think the frustration is also, I'm an, uh, you know, I'm an older person than Demi. Like I've, I've been, I think sometimes we take out our frustrations on other things. And as somebody that's very aware of diet culture and I'm on a diet right now and I'm very angry about it, <laughs> but like I get, I get going into place. I, I mean, man, if I see a pizza, I get angry, you know? But I also know that it's my choice. I also have been around the block enough to know that I am the one supposedly in control of what I'm putting in my mouth. And it is so psychologically hard sometimes. And sometimes you fail and sometimes this. But I mean, I guess I think what I'm seeing, though, is that the bigger problem is potentially, you know, that she's a drug addict. And, and you know, you find things to be angry about to take away the pressure of these other things. Um, that is just my thinking on this and wow i really started off hardcore the beginning of the episode i swear to god we have a great guest today that is really we have the best conversation her name is dara lane and she does a podcast called la do you remember this you you've probably heard her if not you're gonna love her podcast you're gonna love her today we do a deep dive on randall emmett there was a, an article in Vulture magazine called King of the Geezer Teasers, all about Randall. And we go over that article, and there was just so much information in there of just how his business works that I find fascinating. But uh, back to Demi Lovato. <laughs> back to Demi Lovato. I mean, I just want to point out, as always, no matter how sad I think Demi is or whatever, remember that I'm the saddest because I'm talking about it, uh, you know, so I by no means think I'm better than Demi Lovato or anybody that I, I mean, I do think I'm better than Jax. And we got to talk about Jax, you guys. We do have to talk about Jax. And I'll talk about it right now. Jax doing Jax Jaxed today. That's all I'm going to say. His social media presence is I've said it before and I'm going to keep saying it. It is I should have expected it, but I, I at the same time. Did not expect this much and for it to be this good this soon. He is posting dad jokes of the day on his Twitter and then putting those around Instagram. And then today he did a beautiful post to his wife, Brittany. Uh, and we finally got a picture of young Cruz and a beautiful baby. Um, but um, somebody pointed out that uh, potentially we finally got a picture of Cruz because nobody would be willing to pay for um, the baby's picture. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, a week later, we finally got a picture. That's not what we're talking about though. So I get a text from Maritza Lopez, uh, and I got a text from a bunch of people about this, which is shows you how my life is going. But, um, Maritza said, Hey, do you see Brittany's nipple? And I was like, what? And uh, other texts were coming in, and then it felt like one of those stupid 3D paintings when I was a kid where I couldn't blur my eyes enough to see the the picture in the middle. Remember those? They used to sell them at, like, stupid places like Z Gallery and stuff, and I remember as a kid just staring at them, and I could never do it. And then one time I was able to see it. It was like a unicorn, but you just have to, like, really numb your eyes out. You guys know what I'm talking about? But that's what I felt like this again. I was like, fuck, I can't see the nipple. Damn it. And I'm looking everywhere, but I'm looking to the left. I didn't even think to the look at the right. And if you look at the right, Brittany's nipple is hanging out. And it makes sense because that's where her blouse is down a little bit. And Cruz, the baby, is on her. So you're like, okay, 
That makes sense, but the nipple is completely out. Jax posted it, Brittany reposted it, and there's just a big nip. Then I couldn't, then I couldn't not see it. Then the nipple was staring directly at me, like some kind of like cyclops, where I'm just looking at Brittany's nipple. Did I ever think I would be having these long uh, conversations and discourse about Brittany's nipples? Yeah, I did. I frankly, I did. I knew it was going to come to this, just like the Demi Froyo thing. And by the way, this really proves my argument that we are in a simulation. This is not real life. And people that are playing video games are playing us. And they're just throwing the weirdest shit in in these last two years. But anyways, it took hours. I mean, we're talking it took six hours for Jax to realize this and take it down. So my whole point, though, with the Jax stuff is I... Like Santa Claus, I want to believe in it so bad. I want to believe that he is loving fatherhood more than he ever possibly could and that he, this has changed him. He is so amazing. Um, but my, my other thought is if you're this happy, the happiest times in my life I have, um, how do you say this, not gone online to share it, you know? Sometimes when I go online, and I, I would say 99% of the time I'm angry, or I'm making a stupid joke, or I'm trying to feel better. But I'm never perfectly happy when I'm going online, which really says something. But I have been perfectly happy in my life at times. I just have not posted those times, you know? I said posted, posted. I have not posted those times. Um, but he said this one thing that kind of you know, I rarely get offended by things. And this almost offended me. Actually, I was like, am I feeling indignant rage from an internet post? I, I said, maybe I am. Um, this was this was great. Um, in the sense that it was not great. Let me find it here. Um, okay, so Jax posted an Instagram with this caption. Happy one week to my little man Cruz. The amount of love we have for our son is unmeasurable. Immeasurable? Unmeasurable. I can't believe a week ago today you came into our lives and have changed us forever. So I'm guessing at this point Cruz is able to read already and has, well, he does have an Instagram account and it's verified. Uh, So he says, I can't believe a week ago today you came into our lives and have changed us forever. This is the next part that blows me away. Never has a man been more of a man until he has become a father, in my opinion. Fatherhood is the greatest thing to ever happen to me. You can't explain the feeling. It's like explaining water to someone who's never felt water. Cruz has brought me more joy in the last week than I could have possibly ever imagined. I promise I will use my father's handbook and give you the best childhood, best dash childhood a boy could ask for. I am already so proud of you, son, dot, 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 love dad. Like, he's acting like he's fucking Superman's dad. And by the way, I get it. With fatherhood, I'm sure... You, but here's the the part that offended me a little bit because I, I was like, why is this making me, as Jack as Jack says, unmeasurably angry than usual? Is because he said, never has a man been more of a man until he has become a father, in my opinion. So what he's basically saying is that all the other guys out there listening, we are not men until we have child. We are, we cannot fully be men. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're half of a man right now. And potentially, I am not going to have children, and I will never be able to reach my full manhood. And I had to call my parents today, and I said, hey, bad news, I will never be reaching my manhood. I mean, I've, I've touched my manhood, but I will never reach full, uh, full man capacity. But Jax, in one week, 
has realized that he has not been a man up until this point, and now he has been a man. And what if you have two kids? Are you double the man? If you have three, I mean, like John and Kate plus eight, is John Goslin the the biggest man that you possibly could ever imagine? So I think this is, and by the way, I I get it. I think Jax's heart is probably in the right place. At the end of the day, he is just not the brightest uh, bulb, you know, out there. He's, you know, a few tacos short of a combination plate. Um, and here is somebody that needs to be performative about everything they do uh, in their life. And we saw it on the show, and now we see it continue to play out on here. So if anybody ever says to me again, oh, I'm sad that Jax is not going to be on Vanderpump Rules this season, which I don't really get a lot of, I can say, well, we do get to see him every day. Uh, even though we ask for him not to as much, we get to see him online 24-7. But I do worry about anybody, not just Jack, that does this kind of performative bullshit. Uh, and I do it myself, and I worry about myself when I do it. But Jack's, you know, a special breed. But then, you know, he's so busy thinking of posts and thinking of how full of love he is that he's posting nips. Like, I feel like we're like seconds away from him posting a Britney crotch shot and says, this is where my beautiful man came from. You know, like, honey, show the world your beef. You know, like we are th- <laughs> I'm so horrible. But I, you know what I'm saying? We're there. We are there. I feel like we are in the upside down. I just don't. I, I did every day now. It's something new. I'm like, I feel like Cruz is going to be going to college by the end of the week of like, I remember growing up with you, my son, you know, like, I was like, I, I am already exhausted by his fatherhood. Like, imagine how much he's going to do this for the next 18 years. Um, so that is the Jack's bit. I don't know if you guys are following this, but anyways, if you do want to see a picture of Britney's nipple, they have taken it down. Uh, I'm sure you can find it on the internet. And if you really can't, I've got a copy. I've put it in a safe deposit box at Wells Fargo. Um, okay. Uh, next thing we're going to talk about real housewives of New York taglines. Um, oh, you know what I did? I, you know, I, I was going back and forth if I wanted to talk about this or not, but I figure I'm pretty honest about everything, and that includes I've opened up a lot of things in my life and and things that I feel and stuff like that. So I'll just um, I'll just talk about this uh, because maybe it'll help me. So um, you know it's weird. I suffer from depression, or I have at times. I think a lot of us have, and it's weird. It's hard. What sucks about it, I think, is for me at least, is that you can't really predict when it will hit like you can be flying high like last night I was really happy and I was happy my friend was having a uh, their baby you know beautiful beautiful baby which they did and I'm very very happy for them and mom and and uh, baby girl and dad are all safe and, and I'm so excited for them but I woke up today and it just hits you like a ton of bricks you know depression can hit at any second and I was incapacitated like it was hard uh, to move, you know, where you, where you get, it, it's hard to do anything and it's hard to, um, it's hard to think clearly. And, you know, you kind of tend to uh, obsess about the negative or the negative in your life. And anybody can tell you positive things or something nice about you. And it, it sometimes goes in one ear or out the other, and you just don't want anybody to worry about you. So you, you know, like, because you don't want to be treated differently. Um, and the thing is, you just kind of wait for it to wear off. Uh, 
and I couldn't usually I'm pretty good where I can still go about my day and stuff and today I just couldn't you know right now it's 11:30 p.m. on Monday night and I could have finished this way earlier today because I'd already done the interview portion on Saturday and I didn't I only in the last hour um hour and a half or two hours I had to do the Patreon too I, I was able to uh to move or to even have my mind move and I realized I was just on the internet a lot today which was making me angrier and the Demi Lovato stuff made me angry and the Jack stuff made, and and really at the end of the day I was angry at myself and sometimes it's very frustrating that your mind is not letting you do the things that you want to do and I take medicine for this and I, I I've you know see a therapist and and uh which I need to actually do um, sooner, you know. Um, but sometimes those things, you know, it, it, it's like those. it can keep that thing at bay, medicine and stuff like that. And uh, I think any movement towards helping a problem is, is positive movement. But sometimes it's just like a ton of bricks. And it really was so hard to move today. And it's been a while since I've had something like that where it's been bad. And the thing that sucks is, you know, so many good things are happening. So many great things are happening. And when that kind of stuff happens, your mind is broken in a way where you can't appreciate what's in front of you and you can't push harder. You know, I was supposed to get a lot of stuff done today and I just didn't. And I don't know. So anyways, I wanted to say that to you. I don't know if you guys, um, I've talked about this before, I think, and I think a lot of people go through this. um, And, you know, I guess the positive thing, or I always think of it as a negative thing earlier, is that I have to, at the end of the day, day, put a podcast together uh, because it is daily now, and I don't want to leave anybody hanging. I think there's plenty of material out there for me, so it's not like anybody would really, but, you know, it it gives me a a roadblock so I don't go... too far over or let myself just because my initial reaction was like well I'll just lay here for the next 24 hours and I just will feed the cats I'm watching and and that's it and it's good that I have to get up and do things and talk these things out and sometimes when you can hear your own voice express your opinion out loud and it's not just bouncing around the echo chamber of your mind which is sometimes the worst place to think anything about yourself, you know, but sometimes when you actually hear your voice, say it out loud, uh, it doesn't conquer anything, but it definitely soothes, um, things if that makes sense. So if anybody is struggling with this, which I I know a lot of people have been in this last year, I am with you. Uh, I'm here if you ever need me, but, uh, I just wanted to speak it out loud that if I'm not at my best today, I'm going to blame it on fucking depression. <laughs> I'm just going to blame it on that. And uh, and that's it. Uh, let's move on to the show. There's so many laughs. Uh, and by the way, if you want to, uh, something as serious as depression, the, these Real Housewives of New York City taglines, not good, folks, not good. Of all my vices, being glamorous is one I'll never give up. I'm sex positive and BS negative. I may say the wrong thing, but my intentions are always right. I've had to work twice as hard for half as much, but now I'm coming for everything. Just like New York City, Sonia Morgan never goes out of style. And I want to preface, uh, say, I'm Ryan and I'm 
sex positive, but BS also positive. No, um, you know, any any Real Housewives of New York stuff I love, but if we were to look at this a little you know, uh, with a more critical eye, which we're going to do right now, I have to say it's kind of like, eh, you know, okay, let's see the first episode, which by the way, a lot of my, uh, I'm starting to read a lot of people have seen the first episode. Um, uh, the power of this podcast, how dare I not be getting advanced copies of this, of this show? How dare you people? Uh, some of these people getting this, uh, these, these screeners, uh, I've, I've, I've got a bigger podcast. Come on. I will rip this show to... Sh- <laughs> what do I just get, like, power hungry? Um, okay, so the taglines, all in all, uh, the, the first eh is that we only have five. I think all housewives need to have six or more housewives per show. And it kind of... Uh, I kind of did t- think about it. I, was, I had a little talk with myself, and I said, Ryan, you know, they were... It was during COVID... They were trying to find a way to film, and they they brought Ebony on, Ebony Williams. She's the new cast member, and, of course, Tinsley and Dorinda are gone, and they didn't really, uh, you know, get—it uh, I, I, seems like they didn't do an extensive search um, for a new cast member. So we might be able to give them a pass because it is New York City, and New York has been through a hell of a time, which I'm sure we will be focusing on this season. But I am little worried about this season. I heard the premiere episode was great, so that is very exciting. And the great thing is, these ladies usually provide magic even in their dialogue. Like, they could just be at, you know, Sonja's apartment, and that in itself... I would probably laugh maniacally at. So let's, uh, in terms of the opening, so we we start with Luann, and hers is, of all my vices, being glamorous is one I'll never give up. Um, so that uh, alludes to uh, her drinking, maybe her sex with the pirate, so many things. But I do want to give out, there, there was not a countess mention in this. She did not mention Cabaret, almost to the fact where I was like, is she all right? But so that's that's Luann's. Of all my vices, being glamorous is one I'll never give up. And good for you. Do not ever give that up, Luann. We love that about you. Now, uh, on to Leah McSweeney, my love. If, you, uh, if you've listened to this podcast in the past, Last season when we met Leah, I had a season-long love affair with her, and I don't know if it's going to continue this season. I have a feeling she's going to have a rough one, and if we judge anything by those opening lines, this this is definitely rough. Hers is, I'm sex positive and BS negative. <laughs> Leah's not going to take no bullshit, folks. Uh, but what is sex po- I mean, are we going to see her banging it up, like, every episode? Is there going to be, like, a different guy, maybe a girl? Like, a, is there going to be, like, a key party, swingers? What's going on? Like, how positive? Like, I, I'm sex positive. What does that mean? Is this a sexual exploration, especially during COVID? Like, I, I immediately got jealous. I was like, who are these people? Who are you sex positive with, Leah? It better not be another, another PETA guy. Ugh. Remember that when she dated the PETA guy last season and he's like, she took a PETA and sent him, I think sent him a nude with a PETA over her privates. <laughs> you gotta love the imagination though. Come on. And then remember the guy showed his friend and accidentally tweet, uh, accidentally texted Leah back and uh, it was meant to go to his friend. So he was basically sharing the nude. And I will say this. Guys uh, do a lot of stupid things, but none of my friend group, we've never shared any nudes that we've received with each other. 
Unless I'm just not on that text chain. Like that would be like that. I do. Now I'm going to worry about that all night long. Am I not on my friends share nudes text chain? But I that's just not been my experience. So Leah, we're worried about that as well. Then here comes Ramona. Ramona's is I may say the wrong thing, but my intentions are always right. So this is a weird one. How do we break this down? I may say the wrong thing. So that, I think, alludes to how Ramona um, always says so much bullshit every fucking word that comes out of her mouth. That might be what it's referring to. But then my but my intentions are always right. If you take it on face value, that means that her intentions are always good. Like she's always meaning the right thing. But then is there a secret meaning in here? My intentions are always right. Does that mean like my intentions are always right wing? Because we have so many rumors about Ramona being a staunch Republican partying with, um, you know, Donald Trump Jr. or that kind of thing. Remember she got COVID out in the Hamptons and then she was uh, spotted at Mar-a-Lago. Um, but lied about it. And we also get to see in this opening Ramona's new $80,000 teeth that she got over COVID. And the one thing that nobody can argue with is this lady looks amazing. She looks hotter and prettier than she did the first season of this show. And can you imagine this girl, this lady has been on since the very first season. Um, It is also funny, though. She says so much stupid shit and she does get a pass. You know, Ramona gets a pass more than other people because I think sometimes people feel like if you can make people laugh, even if it's in a horrible fucking manner, that that's like a use, you know, like, oh, okay, well, she's, she does make me laugh out, you know? So it is interesting. But then the next one, we have Ebony. Ebony Williams, the new cast member, and hers is fascinating. It says, I've had to work twice as hard for half as much, but now... I'm coming for everything. So this leads me to believe that Ebony might be a bank robber. She's going to steal everything. She might steal our hearts. No, but I've had to work twice as hard for half as much. Now, you could say women get paid less than men, of course, but also this could be referring to, and I think it is, is that she's an African-American woman. And this is going to be a hot button issue. And this comes right after Ramona's. And I do, I have heard that Ebony and Ramona do get into it. And I wonder if that's going to be about race. I wonder how they will handle the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think we will definitely see this. And I think that's what this is referring to a lot. So, you know, it. I wonder, you know, if Ebony is a very smart cookie, which I think she is, you know, it's going to be potentially painful and embarrassing to watch people like Sonia and Ramona um, try to get into conversations with Ebony, you know? So anyways, our last one is Sonia. Sonia Rita, her tagline is, uh, just like New York City, Sonia Morgan never goes out of style. What if it was like, just like New York City, I've taken it in the butt. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so sorry. Um... (laughs) Just like New York City, I need a hard shower. Um, just like New York City, the trash has not been picked up for years. Um, so that, of course, is referring to New York City has been down on its luck, but it is fighting. It's raring its way back. And hopefully Real Housewives of New York City will be a part of that comeback. Um, so that were the taglines. We will find out much more when this show premieres in a, just just a couple weeks which is just wild. It premieres May 4th. You guys, we are less than two weeks away. That is so, so exciting. And and speaking of that, I, I was thinking this morning, 
uh, one of my happier thoughts this morning was how much good stuff Bravo has coming out. And that's why I was like, I need to get in shape. I need to get in mental shape so I can be fully present for this. Because you guys, they announced Shaws of Sunset Season 9 premieres May 16th. Though Shaws of Sunset Season 9, they've been on their nine seasons. It's a show that so many people love. We got a premiere date for that. Real Housewives of Atlanta Season 13 reunion Part 2 will be May 2nd. And then Part 3 will be May 9th. Oh, God, a three-part reunion for Atlanta? They don't need that. Summer House reunion, of course, will be in there in May. And I don't know if it's going to be a one-part, two-part, three-part. I hope it's a three-part. I just I want as much Summer House as they can give me. Uh, Real Housewives of New York, May 4th. Uh, and then Real Housewives of Beverly Hills Season 11 premieres May 19th. And on top of that, Watch What Happens Live is doing a amazing Bravo Party Week from May 3rd to May 9th. And that's where, like, the NYC prep um, uh, reunion thing is going to be happening. And uh, they're going to have all the ladies from Real Housewives of New York on. I wonder if this will be in person. I have a feeling this might be a little secret of the. this is back to the studio for Andy with guests in person. I could be wrong, but that is my hope. It would be really exciting to see that. Um, and I think that that would be cool for all of us. So that is a huge – and I believe I don't know what Family Karma's date in. I, I'm hoping I'm not forgetting – I hope I'm not forgetting that. But that's got to be somewhere in there as well. Um, so we've got a really great uh, – you know, a great month to look forward to. So if anybody out there is depressed like me, just think about how much Bravo we have coming our way. It is very exciting. Uh, now, uh, Wednesday's show uh, this week of the, this podcast is going to be very exciting. We have uh, Miss Hubhouse herself, Lindsay Hubber from Summer House coming on this Wednesday. I talk to her tomorrow. I am so excited. I am so nervous to talk to Lindsay. You guys know how much. I love the show, how much I love her. I get to ask her what kind of sandwiches she likes. I get to ask. I don't think I can ask anything about the finger banging that we've seen so much on the show. Uh, But I am just so excited for the opportunity to do that. So I cannot wait to talk to her. So I hope you guys are excited to listen to that on Wednesday because um, I'm just over the moon about that and getting myself in a place where I can knock that one out of the park. Uh, There is a thing I want to talk about this Kelly uh, Ben Simone. She did an interview. I'll cover that on Wednesday. And uh, yeah, I'll cover that. I'll cover the rest of the stuff on Wednesday. So but now I want to talk a little bit about Randall Emmett. Now, Randall Emmett, of course, we know him as uh, Lala Kent's uh, fiance, the father of Ocean, their new child. Um, But we also know him as a mega rich producer of movies. Um, So let's go over a little bit this, and then we'll go into the interview with Dara Lane from Ladue You Remember This. Now, Randall Emmett was born March 25th, 1971. He is an American film and television producer, uh, the chairman and co-founder of the production company Emmett Furla Oasis Films. Um, His biggest movies in terms of a producer was the Mark Wahlberg film Two Guns, Uh, the Martin Scorsese film Silence, and, of course, the Martin Scorsese film that uh, was at the Oscars last year, um, The Irishman. Now, with The Irishman, though, and we talk about in this interview, he is not recognized by the Producers Guild Association of America, which only recognizes a couple of producers uh, per film. Now, Randall is very smart in that um, he 
found ways to give money. Like, he's a money man. So his films are kind of turn-and-burn quick films that make a quick buck. Uh, Randall's film production is really more about, and I respect this because this is me, about quantity over quality. Um, so he'll hit you with like what he's made like a hundred plus films, but only three or four of them you might even recognize, but it's all about content being King with Randall. So, uh, Emmett was born to a Jewish family in Miami, Florida. Uh, his younger brother, Dennis, um, was born in Belgium. I love what Wikipedia chooses to say about his early life and education. Uh, in 1995, Emmett began his Hollywood career as a personal assistant to Mark Wahlberg. Um, and before that, he actually, uh, was an assistant to, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, but Mark Wahlberg, if you guys don't know, he is one of the inspirations of the character Turtle from Entourage. Uh, later, after the Wahlberg um, personal assisting, he met George Furla, and that is who he co-founded Emmett Furla Films in 1998. Now, in 2013, the company was joined by Dubai, Dubai, sorry, Dubai-based film financer Oasis Ventures Entertainment, and then they became Emmett Furla Oasis Films. So basically, Oasis Ventures, I'm assuming, uh, ponied up a lot of capital and money so they could uh, make a lot of films. Also, he is a renaissance man, folks. Not only um, does he produce movies that you might not have heard of, but he also has a poker career. He's been playing poker since 2012. He's won four tournaments, which include two victories in $10,000 buy-in high roller tournaments at Aria Resort and Casino. Aria hit me up. That was a plug. Uh, Emmett has um, one World Series of Poker cash in 2019 and two caches on the World Poker Tour. I'm assuming caches mean wins, I guess. Uh, he's also made regular TV poker appearances on Poker Go shows, including World Series of Poker coverage, Poker After Dark, and Friday Night Poker. Wow, that, I love that poker. We've just got to name these TV shows. The only uh, the, the only uh, thing we need is it has to have poker in it. So you could be like action poker, Tuesday morning poker, Wednesday hump day poker. Um, so as of February 2021, his live tournament winnings exceed $590,000. So that's pretty good, right? But remember, this is what I always think about Randall. Think about how we know him on Vanderpump Rules. He is the one that was bragged by Lala to have given her a Range Rover. You know, she had the dick-sucking lips, do you remember? She gives good dome. And how much money, remember all the private jets, you know, took the girls to wine country in the private, in the PJ, PJ for the BJ. Remember they, uh, Tom and Ariana and, and DJ James Kennedy had to sign, um, non-disclosure agreements, NDAs to go to Coachella. Like we didn't know who Randall was for the longest time. Remember she was saying it was an NBA star, a, a football player. And little did we know Randall was a film person. <laughs> so, uh, most recently Randall has, uh, directed a film, uh, midnight in the switchblades, I think is the, uh, the title of this, this amazing one, uh, no midnight in the switchgrass. And then he just started, I think pre-production or production on wash me in the river. So he is gunning uh, all of a sudden to be a director, which my theory is, is he is trying to, not clean up his career per se, but trying to make it legit, trying to do things respectable, trying to be a presence 
as not just a producer, but a director of film that might not disappear, if that makes sense to you guys. Um, but I do, I mean, these are the titles of some of his films. Caught in the Crossfire, Gun, All Things Fall Apart, Blood Out, Set Up, Catch 44, Lay the Favorite, Playback, Freelancers, Alex Cross, Fire with Fire, Empire State, um, The Prince, Vice, Mississippi Grind, 90 Minutes in Heaven, how about seven minutes in the closet, uh, Heist, Extraction, Exposed, a lot of one-word titles, Heist, Extraction, Exposed, Trash, Garbage, um, First Kill, Inconceivable, A Vigilante, Gotti. Now, Gotti, you guys, Gotti is a special one. It was directed by uh, uh, Kevin, what's his name, from Entourage. Um, the, the lead guy, not Adrian Grenier, but uh, the other guy, he directed Gotti with John Travolta, who played mob boss um, John Gotti. And it is one of the only films that has had has a 0% score on Rotten Tomatoes. That's That means nobody's liked it, so... I just, I think that's like a special, like if you can go, like, I'm going to make sure nobody likes this film. I think that's kind of special and it almost makes me want to watch it almost. Um, but just like his films are interesting because like I watched, um, the row, which was the film he let La La be the lead of. And it's, uh, billed as a horror movie, a teen horror movie. And it's not even so bad. It's good. It's just so blah. It's just, just mediocre. Like not even, it's not good and it's bad but it's not bad where you're laughing bad where it's like this is really funny bad to watch it's just bad bad where you're like how the fuck did this get made but not that like it's like completely has a beginning middle and end it just doesn't you know where you're just like this doesn't how did this you're, you're more thinking about how all of this happened and then realizing there is a whole underbelly of hollywood where this shit exists where you're like well i could have acted in this like this, you don't need to know how to act to be in this. Like Lala, no shit was the best part of the row. Like she was not bad, but they don't give her a lot to do. Uh, in fact, if you want a full review of the movie, the row, I did it right around November with Troy McKeady on one of the, uh, so bad it's good podcast. So that is where we're at with Randall Emmett. Now, of course, in this conversation with Dara, we go a lot deeper in that because this Vulture article, which you guys need to read, it's called, um, you know, the King of Geezer Teasers, which I think is just an amazing, uh, amazing name. Now, Dara is amazing. The host of Ladue, you remember this. I am telling you, I give you my word and I'm on an episode of this. It is really a great podcast in that she deep dives um, this certain period of time, which we talk about where we are all, to me, it is just evergreen. Like these, these years, these early two thousands and stuff meant so much to me in terms of pop culture. And I think a lot of us, you know, is around the time of like Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, you know, uh, and I know this season she's doing the girls next door, um, Hugh Hefner. And we talk a little bit about that before we get into Randall, but all in all, she's a great person. And, uh, I just love people that love the stuff that we do because it, uh, it's like another thing. It just makes you feel less alone. And I think think Dara makes uh, just a great podcast. So once again, highly re recommend that with all podcasts um, or people that are on this show, uh, please go check them out. Please give them a five-star review. Uh, I, you know, it's a simple free thing that you could do, and I know they really appreciate it. So ladies and gentlemen, um, Randall Emmett, the continuation, 
with Darling. The best things in life are free, but you can keep them for the best and please not give me more. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. Your loving gives me a thrill, but your Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tuesday. Uh, this is your Tuesday episode. I just had a cold brew, so I am even more um, heart attacky than usual. Uh, but I'm also heart attacky because we have such an amazing guest today. This is a guest that speaks in all the languages that we love so much. And, and when I say languages we love, I mean early <laughs> 2000s pop culture. Uh, I'm going to have her talk about something a little different, but we're going to get into all of that as well. Uh, her podcast has covered things like the Bling Ring into Pretty Wild. Jessica Simpson, Ashley Simpson, The Love Life of Wilmer Valderrama. I mean, it really is a one-stop shop for everything that I love personally. So I know if you are not aware of this podcast, where have you been? Uh, the podcast is called Do You Remember This? And we've got to go into the title because if you are a fan of pop culture at all, you know what Ledoux is, but we will get into that. But uh, Dara Lane, welcome to the show. Finally, I was on your show a year ago and I'm so disorganized that I was yeah. like, I feel like that was last week. Well, I also feel like it was last week just because I, it's shocking to hear that that was a year ago, but I we mean, had I a think it was a year. year. <laughs> you know what? It might not have been a year. It might've been. Six, it might not know, have been. I don't know time at all anymore. Neither. I think it might've been like six months ago or okay, eight. Let's, let's go. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really, really horrifying, but I mean, the only time frame I think that is emblazoned in my memory is the early two thousands. Um, mm-hmm. and I guess we'll start there because your podcast focuses on that. And I guess the first question I always even ask myself every night as I go to bed is, why are we so obsessed with that time period? Why does it mm. have such a special place in our hearts? I think it's because it's the last era we'll ever have where we truly have um, celebrity tabloid stories Um where the personal lives of these people is such, it was so much more relevant then than I think it was now because it was like a soap opera playing out. Now everybody has Instagram and their social media where they can kind of craft their own narratives. But before, you know, it was discovering things like reading the blogs. Yeah, it was discovering um, things about ourselves. I mean, we just kept refreshing on these handful of sites that would provide us with this gossip. And you're right, nowadays it's everywhere, Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter. I mean, it and and we have so many people that are stars now, you know? Yeah. That's the other thing too, like the early 2000s, that's when stars were stars. Yeah. They, they you know, the the pictures got smaller, not not yeah. me, you know. <laughs> pictures that got small (laughs) yeah I I think it's that and I think it's also just like an interesting time aesthetically um 
you know, with the juicy and everything. Yeah, by the way, your logo, you guys, you really got to go subscribe to our podcast and rate it five stars immediately, even if you don't listen to it yet. Always do that as a, always do that as a courtesy because it really is the freest thing you can do. And I need Spotify to find a way to to review podcasts on there so we can do something free for everybody that makes these because this is done out of your, I mean, you, you do this, the majority of it is free. Like this is a, you know, almost a service to the public. <laughs> It, you know? I honestly, I should be writing it off on my taxes. It is. Wait, wait, wait a sec. Does anybody know how I can write this? Off? I mean, like, honestly, like I've now spent so much money on this damn thing. And I honestly, like, I just keep throwing uh, money that I don't have at it. And at the same time, I have no uh, knowledge of taxes or any, like anything. Same. I mean, yeah, I do. I do the podcast completely for free. I don't have ads. I also. I mean, if you guys listen to it, it's storytelling. It's I write it yeah, and edit you, you it do and storytelling putting podcasts. clips and stuff. What is storytelling in your, what is that genre? What does that mean exactly? Well, the name, Lady, do you remember this? It was based off of um, Karina Longworth's podcast. You must remember this. Which um, is just amazing. Just incredible. Yeah. It's, it's a great podcast and it's about old Hollywood. Um, but yeah, it's basically just like, uh, I'm telling the story of the feud of Paris and Lindsay, and I'm just trying to kind of creatively get out all the information, um, maybe have a few laughs. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it's time intensive, um, but it's a lot of fun and I don't have ads because I, use a lot of uh, music that I shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, hey, hey, believe me. Uh, I think everybody knows <laughs> if they're listening that I do the same thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I I firmly believe one day I will open the door and I'll be arrested by some sort of music police. Yes. You know, but it'll well, be worth it. It'll be worth it when I go to jail for that, you know? Exactly. Well, it's like when I was in college and I was just sure that LimeWire would <laughs> would end up getting me like fined two hundred thousand dollars per dashboard confessional song that I illegally downloaded. So yeah, now I'm I'm waiting for the music copyright police to knock on my door. Well, but I figure if there's no ads, then and I'm not making yeah, money yeah. off of it. If like, I can prove that I my life has gotten worse in terms of money, I shouldn't have to go to jail. And also, I would love if like one day Radiohead sued me. I would be like, this is wow, Radiohead suing me. I've made it. Yeah. Well, you bring up that time of LimeWire, and that really is the actual time that your podcast focuses on, and a, a yes. certain time that I really romanticize in life because it was that same era of Britney and mm -hmm. uh, Perez Hilton, um, all of those things that I would just refresh, delisted. Um, you know, Just Jared was even still back then, which, by the way, is Just Jared like in his eighties at this point? Like, <laughs> I feel like it's like old, just old Jared at this point. Just but geriatric, am I right, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> I remember like, you know, you would put on LimeWire, you would try to download like 50 of your favorite songs mm -hmm. and then you would hope overnight it would happen because it would, depending on your internet speed at the time, it would go so slow and you would yes. wake. And then, and then sometimes people would put like the song and then it turned out to be like, ha ha, you're pranked. It's not the song, <laughs> you know? Yes. I, I remember I also would, um, I would make mix CDs for all of my oh, friends yeah. as like party. It was my birthday party. Oh, everybody gets a personalized mix CD to uh, with all the songs that I feel 
represents our relationship. Well, I mean, I remember doing the CD. I remember, I mean, I was old enough to do it when it was cassettes. I mean, and I, <sighs> I, 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 this was from the movie High Fidelity. I even started talking on the mixes. Uh, to, really? Yeah. Well, by the way, I think that is, to this day, the height of romance is a mm. personal mix tape cd but like the mp3 is so impersonal it's not tactile in any sort of way so it Mm -hmm. takes out but i remember i remember like music is so sacred to me that if somebody made me a mix it was like thank you thank you so much i mean it was like thank you so much for this you know it was so personal because also it was time time intensive because now with if you have spotify you just go you type in the songs add 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 to your playlist but for the kids listening we we would have to illegally download things <laughs> then we'd have to like burn yeah we a would CD. have to <laughs> we'd have to go out and buy blank a physical cd yeah. or um if it were with the cassettes you would have to like pl- like wait for a song to come on the radio with your cassette ready to record and then when the oh song you wanted goodness. came on the radio you quickly hit record and you would and you would hope the dj wouldn't speak too long over this song like hey mm-hmm. we're 106.7 the hits and you're like oh no he's talking over the lyrics yep um and and the other thing i love about cd culture was the scratches on the cd if you scratch your cd you oh. would be able to resell it later on because that was the other good mm-hmm. thing about cds is that once you were kind of sick of them you'd turn them in and hopefully get you know a dollar per cd and you could put yeah. that towards another used cd and i remember th- that kind of pilgrimage of going there was a place called second spin in the valley when i lived there and i would go there and i would hope i would get enough <laughs> To buy. And then also you would hope you would be there on a day where something magical appeared in the used racks, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. God, I, I haven't thought about CD culture in such a long time. What a, what a beautiful well, time. I used to think about that so much. And then it was so funny when I got, um, when I split up from my ex, I had to move everything. And I remember like all my CDs and the cases and all of this stuff. And I, yeah. in, in a split moment, I was like, fuck it. And I threw all of it out because- <laughs> Well, I, I say this every podcast. Nobody fucking gave us a clue about streaming when we were younger. Nobody said, hey, by the way, you're going to have access to fucking everything. Mm-hmm. Be, you know, be warned. So I love that I had spent, you know, years of my life thinking about building a collection. And then in one fail swoop, I threw it all away. Now, that's that's legendary, I think. that I think that's legendary. And yeah, it, I remember keeping all of my CDs, like taking them from apartment to apartment (laughs) and, and being like, well, I know we don't really use CDs anymore, but like, I will need this, this like Oasis CD. But then eventually I was just like, I really do not use the, there's just no No. point. And then you'd be so prideful of buying like a $70 leather binder for your CDs, you know, Mm -hmm, and then you would mm -hmm. be like, you know, like you're the fucking library. You're taking these to your friend's houses. They weigh like 30 pounds each. Um, (laughs) And the same with DVDs is that like, I have so many DVDs. And in my head, I was like, when did like, cause when I got them, I'd be like, I cannot wait to listen to this director's commentary of, (laughs) of the movie clerks. And then you know, 20 years later, I've never, I've never listened to one DVD commentary yet. I have all of the DVDs and like, I'm like, who was I buying these for? Like, did I think these were coming with me to heaven if I get there, you know? Yes. You know, you can't take it with you. That's what they yeah, that's say. Right. And it's true. And it's well, true. So basically nothing, uh, everything means nothing. We'll, we'll see you yeah. next time folks. Um, yeah. 
So wait, well, so when you were, I mean, in that early two thousands, mm-hmm. like what, what was young Dara like during that time? Who were your favorites? Who did you oh, look up to? God. Who did you hate in terms of pop culture? Okay. So I was a huge Lindsay, Lindsay girl. I was a Lindsay Lowe stan, as I like to say. Um, I please tell me you go around saying I'm a Lindsay girl. I, I would always be like, I'm a Lindsay girl. And I ha- I have red hair, so it was just something that people would always say, oh, you look like Lindsay Lohan, because if you're a redhead, people just um, think of another redhead and they're like, you look just like them. Like <laughs> now I get Julianne Moore and I'm like, I I am not, I do not look like Julianne Moore, but thank you. But we just <laughs> have red hair. Um, but I loved Lindsay. I saw, I know who killed me on the first day it came out at the first showing. You li- you were the one. I know one I was the one saw that opening day. That's amazing. I was the Wait, one. By the way, you guys, that's a movie that she made after like all the like kind of the drug, the the arrests and mm-hmm. stuff like that. She made that movie and that was one of her comeback movies. And I believe she played a stripper in it, didn't she? Yes. So she plays two twins. Whoa. And one, I, be- I believe they don't know about each other. I, I think it's like a parent trap 2.0 situation, but one of them is kidnapped. <laughs> oh, oh, how they, wouldn't it be amazing if she was the girls in the parent trap in this? I would have loved that. Um, and I, the parent trap is just, you know, just watch the parent trap. You don't need to watch. I know who killed me, but I was thinking like, you know, this, this movie isn't great, but I know who killed me. Like it must be some huge, incredible twist. And it's like, no, like one of them just kind of gets murdered (laughs) and it's like, okay. Jesus, Dara spoiler alerts here. My God. But yeah, she does play a stripper in it. Um, and uh, yeah, I saw it opening day. I had to support my girl. Did you did you remember? Because I remember I'm a huge Batman fan, as everybody should be. And I went to see Batman and Superman, which I didn't want to see because I hate the director, the the Snyder guy. And I see it, and I was able to. I was like, I'm I'm going to support Batman, but it, like throughout the movie, I was like, this is shit. This is horrible. Like. Are mm-hmm. you like that with that movie or were you like, I'm so proud to see you, Lindsay, in whatever you do? <laughs> um, No, I it was like, oh, this is not a good movie, but it's also <laughs> very campy. So it was it was like I went with with a friend. So it, and we were truly the only two people in the theater. So it was fun to kind of laugh about it. And Lindsay looks great in it. I mean, and it's <laughs> it's. I so, feel like you're making, excuses you know, it wasn't for, all bad. You're making excuses for Lindsay. Like everybody has for her throughout, in, including Oprah, um, which by the way, what did you ever think of Lindsay's Oprah? Oh, oh my God. I, I watched every single episode the day it came out. Also, I don't know who's in that, that series. Who? Randall Emmett. Which by the way, guys, we are going to be getting to an article that I found on Vulture a couple of weeks ago called King of the Geezer Teasers. <laughs> and it's an amazing article. I want to walk through it. Um, but Randall has had his hand in a lot of Hollywood uh, productions and uh, rumor has it has slept with Lindsay Lohan. If, yes. Uh, which by the way, is another Jax Taylor connection because Jax is rumored to have slept with Lindsay Lohan as well. Jax has yes. told us he's slept with Lindsay Lohan before. And Lindsay denies it. Um, well, yeah. What are you going to be I, like? Yeah, I've, I've totally fucked that guy. Like you're not, I mean, I, Jack shouldn't be saying anything about anybody anyways, you know? Yeah. Well, and Lindsay, I also feel like is kind of a private 
person now, like Paris Hilton will always talk about, um, you know, the night in the, where the three of them are in the car and Paris Paris has been saying, uh, she said it like two different times that, oh, Lindsay crashed that night and blah, 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 blah. And Paris was on Andy Cohen's podcast and she talked about it. And then Lindsay Lohan was on Andy's podcast and he asked her about it. And she's like, that's just like, that was just a long time ago. Like who cares? So I think she has that kind of attitude about when people ask her about personal things, she's just like, she'll deny it or she just won't talk about it. See, there's like 800 things I want to talk to you now. Like, even as we keep talking, I'm like, oh, fuck, I need to ask about this. Because I I always think about the Paris Hilton of it all. Is Mm -hmm. that, isn't it funny in a really weird way that Paris is the one that is the most stable and potentially most financially secure out of all of them this long after this period of time? And we all thought like she was the one that would be knocked off the easiest because she had no real discernible talent, potentially. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it we never could have predicted that her um, brand of talent would become a relevant type of talent. Like back when she was on the scene, it oh, was like, brilliant. Yeah. it was the, this was the first time we had reality stars and it was the first time we were introduced to the concept of being famous for nothing. And people would say that all the time, you're famous for being famous. And that was a very derogatory uh, kind of accusation against someone. But now it's completely accepted that we have tons of people who are famous Famous for Instagram. I love that though. Famous. She is a potential, like she was in on the ground floor of that, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it is funny now when you watch that Paris Hilton documentary that came out uh, over the quarantine or pandemic, you know, to see that she is on the road like every night with uh, her DJing or, and it looked like a really insanely lonely um, existence, especially because they had her boyfriend at the time who gets violent with her at a music festival almost. And uh, you really walked out of that or or I was sitting at the time in my own uh, abode, but you really uh, (laughs) finished watching that and you were kind of like, man, you, you see a lot of these lives and you're like, I remember thinking how glamorous at the time back in the early two thousands. And now mm-hmm. there's not anything that you could give me to be in their shoes at all. No. Yeah. And Paris is the most well-balanced, I would say at this point though. I mean, I've, I've been seeing Lindsay in interviews, like at the beginning of the pandemic, she uh, did an interview with David Spade and she was like very with it and like felt very normal so hopefully she's doing better and like we can get a comeback, you know, whatever. Uh, but I mean, but, <laughs> I mean, you know, and Lindsay had that apex of like that moment where she was in Robert Altman's Prairie uh, Home Companion, which she was yes. like lauded for. She was mm-hmm. really, and you know, and then it was like, you know, but then like rumors got around. She was tough to work with because of that movie Georgia Rule that Gary Marshall directed. You know, she has a really fascinating career, but for a moment she was considered, you know, the the great teen hope of somebody that Mm -hmm. could transcend and move into Oscar caliber material. In fact, if you guys go back and look at this time, Meryl Streep used to say she was the best actress of her generation. And I always wonder how, when people are that successful and they have that many yes people around them, uh, Lindsay had a quote a couple of years ago where I thought from reading it, I'm like, oh my God, she thinks she's still like a list, a list. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. The, what's sad about Lindsay is it is just like an instance of she just had terrible support behind her. Like, I think one of the reasons why Paris is, although I do think she still has a lot of problems because I think she is kind of stunted in her maturity. Um, she at least didn't have momager type parents. Yeah. Who, well, I mean, Dina, what well, Dina and Michael weren't going to be capable of that, you know? Well, but they were like, Paris didn't have those types of people like pushing her into doing stuff like Kathy or like Kathy and they didn't need her money. Whereas Lindsay, she has these like messed up parents who need her money. She's their cash cow. They're letting her do whatever she wants. And I, yeah, I think it just ruined her trajectory that she didn't have a better support system. I mean, here's somebody that even had a album that was considered that, 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 that fans liked, you know, rumors, right? Two, two albums, two albums. Miss Lindsay Lohan had. Okay. I, had them we, both need low, we need CD. a Lohan. What about a Lohan unplugged or what if like Lohan gets Lilith fair going again or something like what oh, about Lilith fair God. for pop stars, like for female pop stars of the early two, like a Lilith fair type thing. That is such a great idea. Right. And I, I, the thing is, is it would be such a huge deal. You get Lindsay, you get Ashley Simpson. I'm sure somebody from One Tree Hill, there's a female on there that's saying something, I'm sure. Like all of those. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get Leighton Meester in there. What if you could get even Mary Kate and Ashley and do some of their like early childhood songs, but like with an (laughs) update. Remember that song they made about their, um, their sister? Oh, uh, it's, it's, this is my sister. It, she is and it was like making, it was like making like fun of her or something. And the sister of course, turns out to be, uh, what's her name from Wanda? Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen. You want to come too. We know you do. And maybe someday you will. She wants to come now. No way, no how. Sorry, negative Bill. Why not? Why not? Let's see. Why not? Lizzie, baby, we have you worked along today, but shouldn't we tell her why? And which, I mean, this is why celebrity uh, pop culture is so amazing now, especially um, I think the only good thing I can say about it is that now it has roots. You know, now yeah. we can look back and it has history of, like you said, of people being famous for just being famous. And it has these like I think I think I even mentioned this last time I talked to you. I think about the Britney Spears hooking up with Fred Durst story on a weekly basis, you know, and the us weekly cover of beauty and the beast. And then like that, a mix win with the Britney Spears bumping into Justin Timberlake at a club after they broke up and they had a dance off. And I was like, that that didn't happen. God, by the way, <laughs> I based all my personality on that moment. Unfortunately, the, the dance off never happened. Um, it was just something that was, written about in a in a tabloid it and it was just like an eyewitness source says that this happened but then (laughs) um and then they put it in the britney spears lifetime movie so i think it became canon for people but uh lance bass said that that never happened it became canon (laughs) and then you have lance bass saying it didn't happen even Mm -hmm. even in it not happening is iconic if you get lance bass in fact 
I'm my buddy asked me to do a uh, a game show audition with him because he was like, oh, it's easy money. And it turns out Joey Fatone is hosting a game show on the game show network. Oh, yeah. And um, and I was like, well, yeah, I'll do it if I can meet Joey Fatone, because I, I my my image is I go up to Joey and I go huge fan. And mm-hmm. then I go digital get down. That was quite a song. You guys kind of predicted uh, internet sex culture and stuff like that, you know, and I would love, I would love to have a serious conversation with Joey about digital get down. <laughs> I love that you have the specific song. Yes. Because at the ready, if, if locked and loaded. It, it is like, uh, talking late at night, girl, it is so ridiculous. And it really, it's the beginning of that culture of before mm-hmm. FaceTime, before anything. And it's about, digital hookups but before digital really fully got its wing yeah i mean were they talking about um, like going in a chat room and Dara, I'm going to find out. That's, I'm going to find out exactly what he, <laughs> I want to say who wrote the, and what if they say it's a Lance song, I want to be like, fuck. But like, I know all their songs are probably written for them, but I just love in my head. I think of like boy bands is like the justice league and they all mm-hmm. bring something to the table. And when, yes, I don't, I hate music stories where they're like, uh, well, John and Paul would go off. Like I want all the band in mm-hmm. one room throwing in ideas and especially on a song like digital get down. I just think that would be hysterical if they all threw in ideas for that song. I'd love to know how, I mean, I'm not particularly well-versed on the, on the boy bands of it all. I mean, I was a big, uh, backstreet boy, uh, in sync O town gal at the time, but I, I don't know much of the, I mean, that's the, the main details. Ones. Yeah. Especially well, O-Town. Yeah. Ashley I, Angel. Oh my God. Ashley was my man. Mm. <laughs> mm. I loved him. I loved him. But yeah, I, I wonder how much, uh, hands they had on the songwriting. I feel yeah, like or, or just like, Joey, sing this line. I don't want to sing it. Sing you know? It. <laughs> yeah, I think I feel like it was probably closer to that most of the time. Well, I grew up in a street in Kansas with all girls that all were in love with new kids on the block. That was like mm. the big boy band of my childhood. And uh, they would each pick the guy that they liked. Like, you know, Rachel was a Joey girl. Mary was a Jordan girl. And they would fight over like this one girl wanted to get in on Jonathan. And then another girl had already claimed Jonathan. So then there was like a big fight on the block about that. <laughs> But they had this song called Step by Step, which is one of their hits. And in the middle of the song, it'd be like, step one, we can have lots of fun. Step two, two. there's so much we can do. Step, And each one of the boys got to sing a line. And then there's like the one, the Frankenstein, the Frankenstein looking guy, Danny, he goes, oh, um, yeah. uh, step four. You know, I think he was step one. I can give you more. And it like sounds like the monster mash. But uh, it cracks me up that that was like their way of getting the whole group involved of like, we have a breakdown and we do steps and mm-hmm. each person gets a step, you know? Step one, one, one. We can have lots of fun. Step two. two, two. There's so much we can do. Step three. three, three. It's just you and me. Step four, four. I can give you more. Step. 
Well, it's uh, it's very Spice Girls too. You know, mm. the Spice Girls had a lot of that as well. Um, but I also I I didn't I I wasn't around for um, New Kids on the Block, but I was I did grow up with Joey McIntyre's solo career. Well, wait, did Joey McIntyre really have a solo career? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, I know. But by the way, Joey McIntyre did a lot of Broadway musicals. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Jordan Knight's uh solo career. Oh, uh, I love Jordan Knight's um what's the song what the, that he does and he has, he's at a carnival? Yes, that's the around in my bed. You yeah, don't I, have to say And I remember the dance. It was like uh, Oh, I give it to you. Baby, you know I can give it to you. <laughs> such a good song no it is it, it actually is a great song and i guys i know this is going all over the place but you <laughs> love pop culture so you probably love this as well um and and dara uh, you're good with all of this going everywhere i'm sure right i, I yes this is okay i always ask for works. permission yes so <laughs> um so uh the, the 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 new kids cracked me up because they really did were out in the wilderness for a long uh long time and then there was like a hunger for it. And now they're back. I mean, not through COVID, but they sell out arenas now. Like it's a whole, they even did a tour with Backstreet Boys, like a co-headlining tour. Oh, and it yeah. kind of makes you feel like relieved. Like, cause like Bachelor Nation, we have to take care of these fuckers for the rest of our lives because they have no discernible talent. At least these boy bands, you're like, good, they're feeding themselves, you know? Yes, they they can support their families. I, I mean, I love that for them. And, you know, you you'll always have a career in Vegas if, if you had success as a musician at one time. Well, speaking of Vegas, I know Katy Perry just, and well, they didn't announce or about to announce that she's going to have a Las Vegas residency and it's going oh. to be like Lady Gaga's where one will be a fun um, carnival like theme. And then one will be a stripped down acoustic Katy uh, experience. And I got to say, I think that is the perfect idea for Katy Perry because mm -hmm. where else does Katy Perry go at this point? Like you, you know, if you go out on tour, you're not, you know, there's a good possibility on her last tour. She didn't sell as much as she wanted. So if you're stationary like that, mm -hmm. you're going to draw an audience just because like, fuck it, we're wasted in Vegas. Let's see Katy, you know? Yeah. And, and people plan vacations around it. It's, I, I mean, I planned a vacation around going to see Holly Madison and Peep Show in well, Vegas. This season of your show, you are doing like a Girls Next Door uh, retrospective. How yes. do you find like, because you you do seasons of your show. And yeah. uh, what, how do you know when like something piques your interest where you're going to make it a season? What, what, why the Girls Next Door for you this, this season? So the impetus of that was I was reading Holly's book actually for the first time. I can't believe it took me so long. Wait, but how was, many times have you read it since? Twice, <laughs> <laughs> but for research purposes. Sure. Um, but I read her book and I was like, wow, there's just so much here. And I wanted to do a girls next door episode. But then when I read the book to start my research, I was like, there's so much here. I, ha I have to do a whole season. And then I went down. I hate to say it, but a rabbit hole. And uh, I, it, I could do, I could write a book 
like I could write a tome about play because I, I what, do. What, so what are you finding out? What are what are you what are some things that you're like, holy shit, I can't believe this actually happened. OK, so basically the, the way my season is um, structured right now is I get into the history of Playboy because it it really influences the stories of Holly and Kendra and Bridget and the things that happened with Hef in the past. But he's such an odd character, a weird character where like he does the same thing over and over and over again, where he he only eats a certain number of foods and he's like a hoarder and he refuses to change the house. So like and he does movie nights with the same group of people and all that stuff. Every every day is a certain day. He has movie nights. He has game nights. Sunday is the pool party. Um, So. So, yeah, we start with. um, the fifties when playboy started. And, uh, I mean, Hef sucks. <laughs> That's well, what well, I, well, I learned. So, so the Hugh Hefner story, I believe starts in Chicago. Right. And like it really yes. playboy, uh, which is so not sad because it doesn't like, but Gen Z probably has no idea of what a juggernaut playboy was. And yeah. then he got married and then he, you know, they got uh, divorced and he was back on the single market and he kind of reinvented himself in mm-hmm. the early 2000s, late 90s, where going to the Playboy and Mansion once again meant something. And yeah. there were these huge star studded parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girls next door on E started. He was known almost for being a uh, bachelor polygamist <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Um, it's really insane. But why is he bad? Well, so if you read Holly's book, she, you know, she talks about emotional abuse that he inflicted on her. And a lot of people, I think when the book came out, were like, she's exaggerating. Like Kendra said that, you know, it wasn't true. And, but when I did research, you can really learn from his past girlfriends that the stuff that Holly talks about is true. Like he is an emotionally abusive, controlling person. Um, and were they real relationships? I think Holly's was kind, was real. Um, but then all the other relationships, like it depends on who it was. Like he had this one girlfriend, Barbie Benton, in the sixties and seventies, that was like the love of his life. Um, and then, and she was the one who actually found the playboy mansion in Hollywood, uh, in Beverly Hills. But so like that was a real relationship, but then he'd have all of these other fake relationships where women would just, you know, live in the mansion and have sex with him and have sex with his, uh, famous friends. And, and, uh, I know that's a bit, by the way, when we got to the point where early two thousands, because his friends were, you know, in their late seventies, early eighties at the time too. And mm-hmm. like James Kahn was always hanging out there and stuff. And I just, those poor playmates like, ah, oh, you're going to have to sleep with my 80 year old friend here. That's been coming to the mansion for the last 50 years, but that's really what the vibe was. Yeah. Especially in the sixties and seventies. Um, it like a, a lot of the stuff that I would see is, and Holly kind of expresses this too, is no one was forced to do anything, but everyone, a lot of people felt very uncomfortable and felt like a little coerced or a little uh, pressured. And these are also, you know, 20 year old girls 
who are up against like these powerful rich men. I mean, Um, I mean, that's, you can't deny that that kind of, uh, you know, celebrity and, and wealth is not, I mean, it's alluring. I mean, there's, Oh yeah. I mean, it's, and if you're young, like I remember being young in Hollywood and meeting a celebrity or having drinks with a celebrity. And I thought, I was the shit. I was high for weeks off an experience mm-hmm. like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It, it is funny living in LA because you do eventually like end up hanging out with celebrities, like through whatever twist of fate. And at first it's like, Whoa, this is so cool. And then soon, if you like really become friends with them, you're like, Oh, they're just a person. And yeah. so I think people would come to half and be like, Oh my God, like, playboy this man this this institution of a person a living legend and then you're there a little while and you're like oh no this is a weirdo man who like makes us all dress the same and like it's like it's like almost a straight white version of michael jackson that is like more in control of their business finances you know like it really Mm -hmm. has this kind of and then we build these people up this is like perfect pop culture and i i know why you're probably fascinated with it because it does touch on so many things and it's funny how we look back and then we're ashamed of you know it's like even with prez hilton now we look back and like oh he was horrible he was horrible oh my god and he he tore britney down and i'm like yeah. And I was refreshing that fucker 30 times every mm-hmm. minute to see what else he was coming up with. And I was sucked into that stuff like anybody else, you know, and it's funny how everybody then, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks it where we now feel ashamed for things that we stand so hard. Yeah. And I, I do think it's a good thing that, you know, we're evolving as a culture and I was listening to um, Holly Madison was on the call her, call her daddy podcast. Is that what it's called? (laughs) Yeah. I I'm not, I'm not a regular listener, Um, (laughs) but I saw that she was on it and she, she made one point that it's so true that when, when she was at the mansion and, you know, she's there with Kendra who an 18 year old girl having sex with an 80 year old man and like living in his house under his rules and how back then people would be like, Oh, you're a gold digger. Like you're, you're a whore. And she's like, if this was happening today, reporters wouldn't say stuff like that. They'd be like, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is scary. We don't like this. Oh, I mean, and this was happening all out in the open. Like this was, this was, this was something he was, like I said, he was celebrated for. It was oh yeah, trying to get into the Playboy Mansion. Like I, that is one of my only not, I mean, it was like, I remember for the longest time going, damn it, he died. I had always, like, I got close to going to the Playboy Mansion a couple times, didn't work out, but that was like a real uh, status thing of being invited to the oh, Playboy yeah. Mansion. You know, they had a talking rock where the the security <laughs> system was built into this rock. And, you you know, I remember even going with my buddy Andrew in like 2005 or six, where we went there and just said, we're here to see Mr. Hefner. And like, we talked to the rock and, you know, and my buddy thought that. he was like, he was like rock. Well, we also, that was like when we would go to like sky bar, when we first moved to LA and we would say we're on DiCaprio's party and we would just fuck around with the door guy <laughs> and just say DiCaprio's name over and over again. And, uh, we were really annoying. Um, <laughs> but it is funny. Like I, well, I don't know if you, how long you've been out here, but on sunset, there used to be a bar called Barfly. 
uh, right uh, in that area where Tower Records is. Towards oh, the, yeah. You know, like Mirabelle and Barfly. But Barfly was this really popular nightclub. And Hef and the ladies, they had a deal on Friday nights. They would come in. And mm-hmm. they would come in at like 8. It would be early-ish. And they would have this back section roped off all the time. And my roommate, Amanda, was one of the bartenders. So I would always just I would always just hang out at Barfly and um, just take free drinks and stuff. But my parents came into town once and my dad got to meet Hugh Hefner. And it was one of the only times I've seen my dad cry. What? Oh, he because my dad. My dad was in Vietnam. Playboy was at my, I love that. When I was in Vietnam, he looked at porn. Okay. No, but he, (laughs) I remember growing up, he had a subscription to Playboy. Like I remember, I I got to a certain age where my mom made him throw out his Playboy collection because I was getting to of an age and we loaded them up in my red flyer wagon. And I lived in Kansas and I remember wheeling the wagon to the end of the driveway. We had long driveways and I then tipped off my babysitter, Jimmy Bohr, that my dad had thrown out all his Playboys and he took oh. all the Playboys. And it was, uh, but my dad, I, he goes, he said, it was one of the only times he told me he's proud of me. He's like, I'm proud of you. Like, cause I introduced him to Hugh Hefner at this bar. Oh my God. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Like, I mean, that it, it was crazy. a hero to him, you know? Oh, I mean, Hef has such a, a legacy surrounding him. and. Part of that is because the Playboy machine was so good at crafting this PR image of Hef. And like, especially in the early 2000s, like all the terrible things that he did in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you don't even, most people don't even know about it. Like he, he would get sued all the time for putting new pictures of people of women in his magazines that they didn't consent to having their image oh, so he was image. The, the the original uh revenge porn person yeah kind of and actually definitely revenge porn because um gloria steinem they had like a long standing feud because she went undercover at the playboy club pretending to be a bunny and then wrote this huge expose in the 60s about how sexist it was and it was just like this terrible job and after that they had this long-standing feud and then year decades later he somehow got his hands on a photo of her at a party where she's like lifting her arm and she has a nip slip she falls out of her dress and he published it in the magazine (laughs) nice little funny uh back and forth that they're having obviously yeah um that's crazy. Um, did you watch, have you been watching the reality, the, the, the reality of reality? I think the Andy Cohen thing on E. Yes, I have. Did you yeah. see that girls next door section uh, mm-hmm. of it where I was shocked to I find did. out that um, no, that the other girls did not like Kendra at all. Well, you know, I feel like that isn't true. It's true to an extent. Like they, I, I actually really, resented that little girls next door package because it I think it was a little biased towards Kendra um but yeah they didn't like each other however towards the end like if you watch the last episode of the girls next door when it's the three of them and Kendra and Bridget are leaving the mansion like Kendra's in tears and Holly's in tears and Bridget's in tears. And they're like, we're like, we're sisters. And 
we've experienced something that together that no one else has. And I think towards the end of their time living together, they did become close. Um, but after, um, after Holly's memoir, like that really kind of the feud exploded. Yeah. So we'll never see potentially a girl's next door reunion. I don't think so. I, I hope that Kendra and Holly can, can get over it and come back. And by the way, Holly just broke up with her guy, right? Like, wasn't she dating the Vegas magician? Oh, okay. Well, so when she, when she left the mansion, she was dating Chris Angel and then, but that was pretty short-lived, but then she got married to um, Pasquale Rotella, I think his name is. And he is the founder of like electric Daisy carnival. Oh, but wow. they're divorced now. They had two kids. One of them, the first one, the daughter is named rainbow. Sure. Sure. <laughs> God bless. Wait, what is the, what's the other one named like sugar or something? Um, the other one's a boy. I think his name is a little more, um, a little more chill, a little more, it's, uh, it's Randy, it's or, Randy. Or, or it could be Cruz, the most popular baby name in the world. Ugh, God, everyone's naming their kid Cruz. Well, as we, cause I want to now move a little bit more towards other, uh, rich guys that pay women for things. So I want to get into mm-hmm. Randall Emmett and all yes. that. Um, and I mean, his friendship with Jax is awe astounding, but I don't know if you've been reading the the uh, the Instagrams lately. But Jax is the number one dad of the year, and I think it'll be <laughs> at this point years running. He will be the number oh. one dad. What was your what has been your experience following Jax's motherhood journey, or fatherhood, <laughs> or he's done both? I at this point I don't even know if Brittany had the baby. I think it might have came out of his urethra. Like what I mean, <laughs> have you ever seen a man I, take this much? Uh, control over a woman's narrative um have i seen it sure do i like it no <laughs> i mean the thing with jacks is um i i worry for that child i really do um but i don't know god god bless you jacks I, I hope you uh try your best raising little crews well there's a couple things that have just made me like just blow a gasket and i can laugh about them now, but in the moment I get ir- irrationally angry and I don't know why I think it's, <laughs> I know there's a deeper meaning there and I'll work it out with my therapist, but there is, he took a shot, uh, you know, taking the baby to a doctor and he was carrying the baby in this Gucci. I mean, I think he, somebody said that's probably empty, but he's carrying the baby in one of the little baby holder things. And he's dressed to the nines. Like he has a full <sighs> planned out outfit all in black. He's like, and he's like in action. And I was like, and I was like, oh, baby's first Botox appointment, you know, like that's cool. And then, but then I thought about it more and I was like, who took that picture? Like, I'm like, did he make, is he making Brittany take photos of him carrying the baby? Like this girl just probably gave birth and like, he's like, get one of me, like, get, hey, get one of me. Like, I want to be like walking in determined. Like, and it, if you think about it from that lens, it's really, extremely dark and then he posted another thing where he's like just got a good workout got a good pump he's sweating he's like now now for some skin on skin time with my son (laughs) this is not even making like but that's what i was like we need i thought the only thing i will say i thought we were going to get a skin on skin photo 
like hours oh, after yeah. the birth with Jax. And I don't yeah. think maybe by the time this airs, he'll have posted a lot of skin on skin, but I just love Jax saying baby terminology, but also I feel like you're taking, you're taking this away from Brittany in a way. And I don't usually want to stand up for Brittany, but it's just weird. Yeah. Well, the thing with Brittany, um, I, I used to really feel for her and now I think she, she's perhaps exactly like him. Like there, I think she's, or she became like him or through, she, it's those couples that become like each other. Yeah. And I, I think she made a deal with the devil. I think she knew what she was getting into. Is the devil Lisa Vanderbump? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the devil is Lisa. And you know, she, she left Kentucky. Now she gets stars to, in her eyes. Stars in her eyes, and now she gets to like hawk flat tummy tea on on Instagram, and you know you you don't get to do that for free. And she's uh, paying well, for it with Jax Taylor for and the, for the rest of her life. That is, I mean, if we we were just talking about this, but it's fascinating guy culture of, I mean, that is on the low end thing of things. Of Brittany didn't pick a Hugh Hefner or a Randall Emmett; she got a Jax mm-hmm. Taylor. And so you know, supposedly when they met in Vegas. Uh, this was even on the show. Jack said to her, you know, to Brittany's friend of like something about like even like a joke about having anal sex with her or yes. wanting to have anal sex with her. And that was like on their first meeting. And there's something so dark where Brittany was like, I'm willing to have anal sex with that man. Uh, you know, who knows what it could be, <laughs> you know, and now we're here at this who, moment. Who knows? Well, by the way, who knows? And you just see like it is sometimes weird with females that are attractive and all that, that that is uh a potential, I'm not saying money revenue, but a potential way out of their current existences, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, and you know, that's like the women moving into the Playboy mansion. It's here's, here's my way out. And a lot of women do it. And I don't begrudge a woman who does like, we all got to do our hustle our own way. Yeah. Um, But unfortunately, Brittany uh, bet on the wrong horse because now they owe what 1.2 million dollars in uh, in taxes yeah, there's a tax lien supposedly against them but it just it is interesting how these relationships seem to work and that kind of takes us to Randall Emmett and now Randall Emmett yes. you guys of course we know uh him mainly as Lala's boyfriend or fiance mm-hmm. and they just had their beautiful baby ocean which i really will say hands down is the best looking baby of all the Vanderpump so we haven't seen Sheena's baby yet uh, you fingers know, sure, crossed for that one. Yeah, I'm sure mini Sheena. Like, mini Sheena just looks like uh, it's like a baby with just glitter, like a DNA <laughs> in it. You know. Yes. Uh, so we don't know, but I will say Ocean is the prettiest baby, and from all accounts, has a chin, unlike Randall. <laughs> and and thank God for that. You know. Well, do you ever think about that with Randall of like all the money he acts like he's, you know, all the money that like is around him and he's always buying things for Lala and her friends. He's never like all that money and you still can't buy a chin. Like, that's what I always think about of like he, everybody has their cross to bear, you know, like sure. the guy, like, I would be like, what, just build me a chin, like build it. Like Stassi got a chin and Stassi got a chin. Why and would it you was- not get a chin? And I, I'm not I, even funny here. Like, why wouldn't you buy a chin? It's like disturbing. It really, 
he has the money. He can ask Stasi about, you know, what's this recovery time going to look like? <laughs> yes. um, walk me through it. If you guys don't what's know, Stasi got a chin implant. Uh, and one of my favorite pastimes is to go look at old photos of Stasi and then to look after she got the chin implant. Mm-hmm. And it is a marked difference. Like, do you ever think about that? Even just like, I would love, like that made a huge change for her. And I would love if like, everybody in America would be able to get a free consult with a plastic surgeon saying like, you look great, but this is what we could make you look like, you know? Honestly, I would love that. It's, it's very similar. Stassi's work is similar to Ashley Simpson's when Ashley got that nose job. Um, was this, was this before like, wow. Ashley's first album or? It was um, after, okay. uh, after her first album, but she she got that nose job and it was like wow this is an artist there was a masterpiece here well i mean you, and same with stassi i the think there is after. bad plastic surgery and then there's things like stassi where i'm like damn like it really worked like you it really made a marked difference and that's why i think sometimes with randall it's like you spend all of this time and money and attention to get girls like lala and that ilk why don't you spend a little money you could make it 10 percent easier you would not have to you know, kiss their asses so hard if you had a chin. You know what I'm saying? You know what it is, I think, actually? I think it's a narcissism where it's, I can be this, like, schlubby guy, and but I'm a big man, and I can, like, pull this tail, this hot yeah. tail. Yeah. How, like, I don't need to change a damn thing. Yet, he expects to attract these gorgeous, gorgeous women and has no interest in sort of like being attractive for them. Yeah. I mean, it is, but at the same time, he'll go to, in fact, after the first date with Lala, you know, she had a Range Rover, you know, yeah, you know, he got to hit it on the first night. Next, next day she had a very expensive car. And like, that is right. Like you don't have to have a chin if you're buying people cars, you know? Oh yeah. No, I mean, listen, you, you have to have, you have to have something to offer. And if you can offer a Range Rover, God like I want to be, I want to be a budget kind of, I want to be a budget version of Randall where I like give somebody a mm. Corolla, like a Corolla the next day or something, you know, a Corolla might get like light cuddling or something. No. Oh my God. I'll, I'll do a, a Brittany, Brittany and the butt for a Corolla. Honey, I, I have a Corolla and those those little puppies they last. They last. are built to last. They yes. are built to last. Okay. Yes, it's a very reliable exactly. vehicle. Well, that's what, I mean, I always wonder like if Randall continues on, like, you know, he'll probably marry a different person every eight years, maybe. Oh yeah. Like when the money starts running out, which this Vulture article, which I want to talk about really, I, I do think Randall will eventually really run into, if not already, there's going to be huge financial issues uh, uh, really, I think probably sooner rather than later, but will he ever put himself on a budget for females? You know, like you're not going to get the la la, but you could get something close. Oh, absolutely. Well, when I was reading the article, I, the first thing I thought of was both him and Lala, I think are going to turn into the Girardis. Like Ooh, before we know it, there is going yeah. to be a big lawsuit because he's already had a bunch of law, like lawsuits and stuff. 
Yeah, the but, article points out he's had many lawsuits. In fact, like even like things like the Writers Guild Association of America will they they've sent warnings to their entire staff to not work for uh, Emmett Furler Productions because he has not paid. Uh, I think it was like six million re- residuals or something like that to writers. So I believe it was like six hundred thousand, but then it I go also six million. <laughs> no, it was well, like thirty billion. Com- well, but so it was like the it was six hundred thousand. Um, was what he's currently in trouble for. But there are six other claims, um, the same type of thing. It didn't say how much those are. So that means he's doing this a lot, which for those, for those of you don't, who don't know how it works, the WGA is the writer's guild. You're supposed to be paid a certain amount of money, a certain wage. And Randall is basically not paying these writers who yeah. work on these films that they're, they're not getting their residuals. So, you know, just because you're in the WGA and just because you've written a movie doesn't mean you're loaded and you don't need that check. No, in fact, like, you need the Writers Guild so people that can work that work on these horrible films because if you watch any of Randall's films, save for like three or four, they're horrible, they're cookie cutter, they're beyond, like even like, you remember he produced The Row, you guys, which we've talked about mm. on the show with Troy McKeady uh, about Lala. Uh, that, and by the way, that's another way of him keeping Lala is like, I'll give you a movie, kid. And yeah. it was not even... It was not even so bad it's good. It was like just bad, bad. It was not, but not even fun, bad. It was just so by the numbers that you were trying, I was trying to find it even funny things to laugh at of a bad movie. And it doesn't, these movies don't even usually have those, you know? No. Yeah, he, they're terrible movies. Um, They're movies that are just supposed to like make a bunch of money in a, in the foreign market. Yeah. Um, But yeah, he and he's also he also wasn't paying residuals to uh, actors and like for some actor who maybe had a few lines in a movie to not get those residuals is a huge deal. Like I oh, have, friends. I depend, I depend on my residual. I mean, yeah, it, it it is the worst feeling. You guys is that you know I'll come home to like a, a handful of checks, mm-hmm. and it's like a lottery. Like it really yeah. is. Like you're like big money, big money, big money. Ah, oh, four cents. Like SAG really does. They'll like they'll psychologically fuck with you because they'll send you like <laughs> four or five checks at a time, and you're like holy shit, this weekend I can eat. And then you open it up and like, you're like, one is $30. And you're like, here we go. Yeah, this is real money. And then the last three, like I opened three yesterday and they were all under like 30 cents. And it's just, it's almost like they want you to like, psychologically mess with you where they know you have to sign it and put your bank account number. And the whole time you're thinking mm-hmm. about all the mistakes you, that led you to be an actor, you know, you're like, yeah. what did I get here. I'm like signing a three cent check, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's just, it really sucks. And the article is really interesting. Um, but it made me truly, truly hate Randall. Um, because the stuff that he's doing, it, it affects working class actors and writers. Yes. He's making films. So how how this, uh, and by the way, the article that we're referring to is called The King of the Ge- Geezer Teasers, Inside Randall Emmett's Direct-to-Video Empire, where many Hollywood stars have found lucrative early retirement by Joshua Hunt. It really is a very well-researched, great article. Yeah. Um, a little background on Randall. He is 50 years old now. 
Um, and he got his start, uh, you know, was uh, lived in Florida, uh, got his start by being an intern for Jerry Bruckheimer, was, who was, I believe it's Jerry Bruckheimer or Michael Bay, one of those guys. Um, I think it was Jerry Bruckheimer. Jerry Bruckheimer, who was like the king of Hugh, like the rock, you guys, Con Air. For a while, Bruckheimer was the guy. He did all the Pirates of the Caribbean. And he interned or like was the assistant for two years, which led him to Mark Wahlberg. And then he was Mark Wahlberg's go-to guy and followed Mark Wahlberg around and was eventually supposedly one of the inspirations for Turtle in Entourage, which mm-hmm. I believe it's an amalgamation of him and another guy. But Randall will always say it's just him. <laughs> of um, and so the thing that you realize that in his like, you know, early years of uh, his his origin story is that he learned to talk. He learned to really like talk, to talk big, to talk mm-hmm. passionately. And I've had Randall come to the acting studio I used to work at and he talked to 30 of us. And the wow. guy is charming as hell, you guys. Like it is, you realize w- how his game is, how he even got Lala. He probably said, I want you so bad. I love you. I'm telling you, you need to be with me. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. If a guy says that to a girl, it's so atypical. Like it doesn't happen a lot, even though you're like, but girls kind of seem like they might like stuff like that when guys just say stuff like that. Or well, and if they're rich. Well, I will, I will well, yeah. Rich helps. I will also say though, as a as a PSA, ladies, if a man tells you he loves you too soon that is called a love bomb and it is a red flag that Wait, the, that the appropriate- is a narcissist have you been love bombed um uh yeah i have <laughs> and many years ago but i it's something that happens i think a lot where um a man will you know oh my god i I think I'm falling in love with you. I know it's only been a week, but I'm falling <laughs> in love with you. And like, let's go on this vacation. And like, you're, I've never met anyone like you. And then a month later, they're like, see, bye-bye. Or they're just like narcissists or whatever. Well, when's the appropriate it's, time uh, to tell somebody, what, I mean, what is the appropriate time amount? But But by the way, you are right. Like, I remember relationships where you do feel like you love per- the person in the first, w- I mean, like I've never- I don't think I've ever love bombed anybody, but I remember thinking like, I am crazy about this person. Like, oh, am, yes, of course. Right. And then you do get like a month and a half later and you're like, uh, I like this person. I don't, I don't feel, you know, like that is, mm-hmm. but I mean, I don't think I've ever love bombed something. I don't, maybe, I don't think I have. I th- I think the fact that you're not sure if you have means that you haven't. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's usually more of a hallmark of, um, a potentially abusive person who is trying to sort of manipulate you and rope you into a relationship before you actually know them and like really know them. So like, yeah. Um, giving someone a Range Rover on the first date, that is kind of a love bomb. It's, Oh, look at this life that you can have with me, but you don't actually know the guy. Well, that's why girls also PSA ladies act, ask for uh, pay stubs, see if they're in good standing yes. with the WGA mm-hmm. and Screen Actors Guild. Yes. If you're in Los Angeles, make sure they have this documentation and say, I need to see mm-hmm. a tax return. 
Um, you know, were you, mm-hmm. and also say, did you get the stimulus? Because if they didn't, that means they've made above a certain salary and be like, okay, good. That's good. You know? Oh, that is actually a really good, um, hack, I think, because, you know, if you say to someone, oh, how, I mean, no one should be asking like, how much do you make? But, <laughs> but it's easy for people to lie about that. But if you just kind of go, oh, did you get the stimulus check? And they're like, yeah. And then it's like, oh. Okay. Or, or even go like, they're or, not even thinking about it. You know what a 401k is like, do mm-hmm. you know, like just ask basic questions that I think will help you along the rumor about, uh, it's not even a rumor. This is what Randall said on the Randall and Lala podcast that they have, uh, which they haven't, I don't think released episodes lately, maybe, I'm, uh, but no, they, they haven't. Cause I, I looked to see if uh, there was anything. Sorry, you guys, you'll just have to listen to me and Dara's <laughs> podcast while you're waiting. Wah, wah. Um, he said that he was obsessed with Vanderpump Rules when it first came out. He <gasps> really? said him and his friend, he made all of his friends watch it. And it got to a point where he called Bravo and begged for new episodes before they came out. And so part of me, he said all of this. So he oh my God. With all of these guys. So I do think, I do think he targeted Lala because he came. Absolutely. He knew exactly, like he says, oh, I, I met the hostess and it was La La. And he like, he didn't. But then if you say, you know, the show that well, where you were calling Bravo about it, then it seems like you're damn well are targeting somebody. And if you're cocky like that, you would be like, I'm going to get Lala. Um, uh, you know, like when you're rich like that and things are happening, you have like almost Superman powers where you think you're like, I can get anybody I want. Well, and that totally goes along with um, a quote in the article where one of his colleagues said something like, if you throw, if Randall's in your house and you throw him out the door, he'll come in through the window. And if you throw him out the window, he'll come down the chimney. He is just someone who is relentless. That's his, that is That's his, his thing. That is a talent, you guys. And especially oh, yeah. in the movie industry is that like, it is so really hard to determine how money is actually made. Remember mm-hmm. like anything, even like the TV we love, all that, it's really created to sell soap. It's really created so yeah. advertisers can sell their product, their wares. And the same thing with uh, movies and how this movie article, uh, this article breaks it down, which I find fascinating because I used to work at a blockbuster video and you would have, the, the, the article starts off with talking about all of these direct to video market where mm-hmm. you would have all of these films that like direct to video it's some some would be sexy some would be action you know it's where steven seagal went to die and all of this <laughs> stuff and you would have these films that would direct to video but then blockbuster closed up direct to video mm-hmm. market completely crashed so uh you know randall and his you know so randall obviously got emmett furla who's the other producing partner plus another uh production person you know, producers just really, their main thing is to try to get money out of investors so they can fund these projects and make more money for themselves and potentially for their investors, hopefully. Um, and we find out later in the article that Randall actually will uh, give parts to people with money, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they, that, that happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that happens everywhere, but I do find it funny that, that, that will happen uh, especially with Randall's movies is he will put you in a movie. Um, and there has been arguments when, you know, what's his guy, Dan Blazerian, the, uh, the, the poker player oh, yes, guy that yes. loves playmates and all that stuff. He paid to be like, what, like a couple minutes in lone survivor, the Bradley Cooper movie, which is one yeah. of Randall's actually actual movies, not a direct to, to, uh, you know, what do they call them now? But, 
that was an actual movie and he didn't, he wasn't in the movie enough and sued Randall and they settled out of court and he got a bigger part in one of Randall's shitty movies. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. He was supposed to have eight minutes on screen and he did yeah, lock in at eight minutes. I love that. <laughs> so they say Evan, who's 50 is just directed. He finally got into directing over the pandemic. Uh, he is now, uh, he's directing his second film. His first film even has Robert De Niro as well as the second man. Mm-hmm. This article points out though, the, the, the thing that he has um, really championed and the thing that has been of great success to him is you'll take somebody like a Bruce Willis, a Robert De Niro, an Al Pacino, a Steven Seagal. And what you'll do is you will um, give them the first scene in the movie. And then they are a secondary, if not fourth character in the movie where Bruce Willis was clocking like seven to 10 minutes per film. Bruce Willis would get a big fee for that. And then he would be able to sell those foreign rights and he would be able to make money on the cheap that way. So none of these films, they were all cookie cutter. They were all of this certain type of really quick genre, but you would have that person that could automatically with their name, even in their later years, sell overseas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so funny that we were uh, that we're recording this today because this morning um, I saw something where uh, uh, Robert De Niro's lawyer said something yes. about his Grace uh, Hightower's uh, his his ex wife is spending way too much money before their divorce and says Robert De Niro is running out of money. He'll have to work until he dies because of how much she's spending, and then I was like, oh my god, that's. Because why? I don't even think Robert De Niro likes working anymore. No, he said he. By the way, Robert De Niro is seventy-seven years old. And doesn't he have kind of trouble like remembering lines and stuff? Like I've heard stuff like that that he. I think it's also that he picks films where he doesn't even bother to memorize the lines. You know, like that, it that gets is like, also true. You know, The Irishman. You know, that was back to Bobby De Niro form with Scorsese producing. And by the way, you'll say Randall Emmett is a producer on that. Randall Emmett is a producer on that, but a non-PGA producer, which is the Producers Guild of America. He fought for Producers Guild credit. Producer, the PGA will only recognize, I believe, five names per film. And so uh, Randall got financing for that film, but he wasn't an on-set producer. So he gets the cachet of saying he was a producer mm-hmm. of the Irishman and boy, did he take a bunch of pictures during Oscar season? Oh yeah. He took that to the bank, but he wasn't the day-to-day operations guy on the Irishman, nor was he on the set no. all the time, but he did. And he, the other thing that Randall does, that's really charming is that when he, he sees these people like Scorsese, where he's like, I want to be involved with Scorsese. And he said uh, to Scorsese, he said, give me, Give me the movie project that you cannot get funded. Give me your dream project that you cannot get funded and I will find that money. And he did. He he gave this old, uh, this this film Silence with Liam Neeson and um, it, nobody's probably seen it. It came out like seven years ago and Randall found the money for it. And it didn't make any money back, but nor did Randall expect it to, but he got that in with Scorsese mm-hmm. and that to him was coming clean. That was him trying to get out of this schlocky movie thing that he's really known for. I, he is a mastermind. I will give him that. I mean, he's got a yeah, plan, he, but it's, it's like made off. It's like, got a plan. It's a plan, but it, it, it depends on like how much longer he can go. It's like a race against time before some kind of IRS gets involved or like, I feel like he's on borrowed time at this point and he realizes it and he's trying to come clean. 
I, and I think he's literally on borrowed time. It sounded like, because one of my favorite little anecdotes was how many people have said, I can't believe Randall hasn't been killed yet because yeah, but, of where he get well, by the Russian mob. Russia, yeah. I because mean, that's what he, he, that's some of the money he's dealing in is like dirty Russian mob money. It is funny. And this is where it kind of even has an overlap with politics of how politics work mm-hmm. nowadays, especially is you're really a slave to where you can get the money from. And that's yeah. where like even Donald Trump or even Democratic candidates, you know, that you always have that. Well, they took money from this and this and such and such. And now, you know, and that's Randall is that it feels like this treadmill that you can never get off. And I think about Randall after reading this article and I'm exhausted. Like, do you know how much energy and like even Lala, it's like, it must be energy just to keep up all of this facade and to keep this money going and then to have a kid on top of it. And you're trying to make people happy and you make yourself happy. And you're like, this is old Hollywood. I can only imagine what goes through this guy's mind. uh, And you're just almost like, waiting it out, hoping to not go to jail, you know, like hopefully you die before you go to jail. Yeah. I, it really does remind me of the Girardis where people like this who have money and could live a nice, comfortable life instead need more and need to be on TV and look at how much money I have. And they, they end up like Jen Shaw too. Yeah. I like, mean, this is where it all ties in pop culture. And I, I, the older I get into this pop culture stuff, if you study this, like you do, you realize, I feel like with inter- there's, there's no real money out there. It's just people yeah. borrowing money, people taking money, people up one day, five years later, they're completely down. It is so, I mean, like, think about Lindsay. I always think about like Lindsay, where is she getting her money? I know she's on cameo now. I know she's, you know, do people in Dubai love her or like there's a certain, it almost feels like she's like, um, you know, like uh, Dubai people are like Dubai, like billionaires are like, guess who I'm hanging out with? Lindsay. Absolutely. And it's like a fun little um, trinket they get to play with, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I think we would be really surprised to see how many people, how many celebrities especially have commercials or ads um in other countries that we've never seen. It's like that episode of friends um, when Joey does some like men's lipstick commercial in, in China or something. I think that happens a lot. And that's or even where... Bill Murray and lost in translation, you know, make it a yes. story night. You know, he's, he's there filming a whiskey commercial, Harrison Ford, Brad Pitt, they've made twenties of millions of dollars over there doing these ads. And when I've been to Japan, it always cracks me up. I've been like three times and you really do see those ads with big stars. Yeah. So yeah, all them, all the money is fake. People are, you know, have their tax havens and the more I've gotten, I did not, I I'm not a rich person, but when I moved to LA, I started meeting rich people and it always surprises me how it's just like, wow, you really have to be rich to get more rich because just the silly things that they do to make money that I'm just like, how does that even happen? Well, I mean, I, even in the the sense of, we were talking about Hugh Hefner earlier is that, you know, you're like, Oh, and then he, you know, he made all of them have sex with him. And in my head, I'm just like, but did any of them like stay afterwards and like binge watch TV and their, like, I mean, that's what I think of as relationships of, 
yeah, like sex and all that stuff. But like, basically you want to get to the point where you can binge watch a TV show with your partner, you know? And mm-hmm. none of these rich people, it sometimes seems like they have any, like they don't even have the conversations that we have. I'm like, I'm wondering if like, I mean, I think Randall and Lala actually do know each other pretty well, but like for yeah. most rich people, you're like, you probably don't know the first thing about your partner. Like you couldn't, they're not telling you about their high school experience, et cetera. <laughs> I think it's very much a certain type of rich person like Hugh Hefner, um, where there, yeah, there's a narcissism there and they don't, to get to that place and to care so much about your, um, your image, there has to be like a little screw missing of empathy and caring about like so many of these rich guys who have the much younger girlfriend, yeah, they're not talking to them. They're not, they don't care what they have to say. They you know they're they're a prop like anything, like everything yeah. else in their life, they're a prop, you know. And I yeah. find that very, you know, sad and fascinating, but it's a certain type of person. And I hope, you know, I think as we see this, hopefully we can watch a lot more females do this as well to men as females get Absolutely. richer. Absolutely. Like um, in fact, I think there was somebody well, who's the girl, I think it was yeah. Anna on, on Bling Empire. Um, yes. or, or, you know, I think there's these, um, but, but anyways, um, back to the article, it says he's made over 110 movies where he's had producer credits on and they've grossed in excess of 1.2 million billion, which though, if you break that down, like, you know, one of those movies alone was like Lone Survivor, which made like mm-hmm. 400 of those million. Like he's yeah. had Lone Survivor is his only hit. It's one of his only big ones. Mark Wahlberg, the only one that he was involved with uh, Randall on, which I find interesting. Um, But even, uh, so 1.2 billion, the movies have the titles of things like Survive the Night, Mercenary (laughs) for Justice, Backtrace, uh, Gun. That's a great title, Gun. Uh, One's called Setup. One's called Extraction. One's called Out Out for a Kill. One's one's called Today You Die. Ooh. Are the movies and and by the way, 50 Cent is in a lot of these. I do want to remind people of the Fofty scandal. Oh, yes. He owed Randall money. So this is Randall's entire life must just be owing people money. Yeah. And hoping that one of these films um does enough business, but he's trying to do that by tapping into an older star market. So it's like this weird. I don't want to say it's like a pyramid scheme in any sense, but there is some kind of scheme at play here. And I wonder as he's evolving where he pictures his career going from here. I wonder if he has much foresight. Um, But yeah, like another scheme they mentioned was that if you, I think it was like Puerto Rico that you get a tax credit for filming there and they would sell these tax credits for 90 cents on the dollar just to make the money, not yeah. to put into the film, just to sell it. Exactly. Yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. But yeah, I, I I wonder if he has much foresight or if it's just he is on the hamster wheel trying to make sure that it keeps going. And it's just about uh, stealing from Peter to pay Paul, pay Paul just yeah. moving money around, which is also kind of like Mr. Girardi it was just a lot of, okay, I'm going to take this person's settlement to pay back this person's settlement that I stole and just like moving all of the money around, 
hoping that it doesn't catch up with you. And the other funny thing is he also works with a bunch of actual criminals. Uh, you know, there mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, he produced a, a Nicolas Cage movie with a guy named Guy Griffith, uh, who defrauded investors out of $5 million by selling fictitious interests in a legal marijuana business. <laughs> uh, he is now producing a film with Randall uh, called Speed Kills, starring John Travolta, which is another one. There are a type of actor that had enough cachet where they just wanted somebody to meet their quote. So mm-hmm. John Travolta goes, okay, I'll do uh, four, I'll do six days on your movie and I get $5 million. That's good business for people like Travolta and stuff like that because they have a certain lifestyle that they want to keep up. And it doesn't like Bruce Willis doing 80 of these movies. He knows that he can make his price. And also nobody really ever finds out about these yeah. movies. Yeah. Like nobody knows that Bruce Willis has done 40 of these worst shitty movies of like, I couldn't, I've not even heard of one of these. And so it's like this perfect thing where you can go spend a couple days in Puerto Rico, make your money and nobody ever finds out that you're in a horrible film. Yeah. I I don't even think Robert De Niro's legacy is being tarnished in any way for participating in these kinds of things because literally nobody knows about it. Yeah, it's like it's weird. So I wonder what Randall's reaction was to this article. I would love to have gotten Randall's response because this is really yeah. the biggest article that's actually broken this down that people have like treated Randall seriously enough to look into his business because you have to remember Randall really made a risk in being a character on Vanderpump Rules because mm-hmm. Randall could be the first male. Well, no, Tom Girardi was first, but I was saying the male Jen Shaw where it's like, this once again, you trying to chase tail or be on a show like Vanderpump Rules will eventually lead to your destruction because you put a spotlight on yourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, I, I always say about that Bill Murray quote I keep bringing up is that like, what's it like to be, uh, what's it like to be rich and famous? He's like, well, I'd rather just be rich. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, Emmett, uh, Randall Emmett is now in all of these paparazzi photos. Randall Emmett is you know, toiling around trying to get pictures with Brad Pitt at the Oscars. Like these are, these are things that really get out there. Um, But a lot of his investors now, uh, there's a quote in here. They are unhappy with the films they were getting from Randall Slate Um, says the producer. I think it was a kind of a point where it was almost like an ax over the head of the output deal. So basically Randall at this point, his formula uh, is potentially drying up and he's trying to hop into directing now. And he's giving himself a bigger budget for the films he has in the pipeline, which, of course, include Bruce Willis, but also include um, uh, disgraced uh, actor uh, uh, Emile Hirsch Uh, um, and uh, Machine Gun Kelly, even. Ooh, la, la. Yeah. I mean, in fact, we all saw the paparazzi photos with Machine Gun Kelly, Megan Fox, Lala and Randall having dinner. So having Lala eat with Megan Fox must have been one of Lala's dreams. Oh, absolutely. I mean, little, little Lauren from Utah finally made it. That's, you know? but see, that's, I always find that funny is that like when I've done good, it's like I get uh good podcast download numbers or I got my name in a paper or something. And for Lala, it's like, I had dinner with Megan Fox, you know, oh, like yeah. that really was the dream. Well, and also that was the um the catalyst for her friendship ending with Sheena because Sheena was miscarrying and Lala yeah, she chose yes chose Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly instead of being with her. <laughs> I mean it is funny when you start sacrificing being a person for um 
don't even want to say glitz and glamour, but for the more exciting option. Like there's always going to be a more exciting option. Mm -hmm. And especially I think Hollywood thrives on that. You know, Hollywood thrives on the next big thing or being in the cool place at the, like, I remember, you know, like, trying to be at those cool clubs or even like, you know, Ledoux back in the day or Joseph's mm -hmm. on Monday, which was huge. Or there was a nightclub called Jet or LAX or all of these nightclubs. Basically in the old days, you could just like do a one name club, like cafeteria, and that would be a club, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, so also I want to point out that Randall has been married before. He was married to uh, Amber Childers, uh, who is actually, you guys might know her as, uh, the, the Candace Stone on Netflix's series, you, she was also in, um, Paul Thomas Anderson's the master. Uh, she actually is a really good actor. Amber Childers, but, uh, weirdly looks exactly like Lala in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, he, it seems like he traded Amber in for a younger model. Yeah. You know. But see, that's what I'm saying. Like, how does Lala look at that and sense any kind of security? Because men like that, no matter how, I mean, it's all about making somebody else feel special. Like that, yeah. was, that was the rap on like Bill Clinton. They said, if you met Bill Clinton, he acted like you were the only person in the room. And he mm -hmm. put all of that highlight, that spotlight, that powerful spotlight on you. And I feel like people like that's like Randall's thing too, is he makes you feel like the only person in the room and that you're special. Yeah. And I also think, you know, of course he probably wants to be with a younger woman because it's a status thing, but also with men like that, who are just like notoriously dating young women, it always makes me go, is that also because a woman a little closer to your age can see through your bullshit and you kind of have to go after these younger women who yeah, who are less experienced cool. yeah that you can yeah, still I mean, fool like, it is interesting to see it will be interesting to see lala at the end of this you know yeah. and i don't mean at the end of her life but like you know <laughs> 10 years from now that's what i'm saying is great like we now are talking about people like Lindsay and lohan paris hilton britney spears with the you know through the lens of decades later and yeah. the same thing will go for the reality stars we created like it'll be interesting to see them now and how it's funny to talk about dick sucking lips and you know <laughs> i give good dome and all of this stuff but like where is this going to end you know that it's not going to be you know potentially a happily ever after because we we've all seen how these things work at this time i i am the most fearful for the vanderpump rules cast i feel because Unlike Housewives, not Jax, though. Not Jax, though. No, no, I, okay, he's okay. got it all together. Great, okay. great head on his shoulder. Um, but like with the Housewives, they made their money, most of them, before the show. And they like lived a life before the show. And then they became famous. But these were people who grew into adults on the show. They had they had moved to LA because they had dreams and they had interests. All of those have been dropped. And now their whole life is just this reality show. And they're so codependent with each other. When this all dries up for them, when they're, when their cache no longer cashes in, what, what do they do? Well, that's what I, I always say is that these people think of themselves as the cast of friends, but they, they're not because they can't act. They're right. themselves. So like they can't go to another project. And it was 
you know, popular with the same group of people that probably loved Friends, but never had the success of a show like Friends because reality shows just don't get that big, um, like a show, a juggernaut like Friends. But it does. It makes me sad even to think about in terms of the pandemic, where wow, in one fail swoop, Tom Tom could have possibly been it just hasn't been open for a year. Like you, you know, that's that's Tom and Tom's dream if we were to believe the show. And then all of a sudden that gets taken away from you. And then on top of it, other things come out of the woodwork. Like maybe Lisa has financial problems. Maybe it's not going to open. Maybe the show is done because mm-hmm. of their success in certain ways and how they felt like very emboldened to say stupid things about people that got them into trouble. At, at, so all of that stuff can be taken away in one fail swoop. And you realize you're then just the same unemployed actor with medium mm-hmm. talent out in Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, and they've spent so much time um, not cultivating new interests and also in these relationships with each other. Like when the show is gone, when everything's gone, are Tom and Katie going to look at each other and go, we were, we only stayed together this long because of the show. I'm still not going to have sex with you. I'm still not having sex with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, Brittany and Jax, like all of these people, I just wonder, even Tom and Ariana, like, I wonder if when it's all stripped away, are they going to be like, oh no, it's just the two of us now. Well, like we don't have this lifestyle around us. There is a completely dark argument to be made that you know, in any business person, we were talking about Randall diversifying into directing himself. That is his uh, new passion. But diversification for the Vanderpump Rules cast and reality stars is having children. Yeah, that's a business model. Now, business now now for Jax, who does not have a reality show job, his diversification is well, it's time to be a baby maker and it's time to be a dad influencer and it's time <sighs> like you you see this. So whenever I look at a post, I think part of the anger is, is because I sense the desperation there. And it's always the yeah. performative aspect of people like Jax or in reality stars to, you know, in acting, we always say, you know, um, show us, don't tell us. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Jax, it's all about telling us. It's all like, look how great of a father I am. I am the greatest father of all time. And he'll, <laughs> he'll say it until we believe it. Yeah. You know, and I think that is another form of Randall Emmettism. Mm-hmm without money of just faking it till you make it. And I think that's the part that really is scary because you do realize we have to now take care of our reality stars for the rest of our lives. It's like football players <laughs> getting CTE brain yeah. damage. And we're like, fuck, they don't have a retirement fund. They're making so much more money than I did. And now we have to like figure this out. It's the same with reality stars. I mean, scientifically, we don't even know what happens to these people yet. There's not even enough tests run on these people that we don't know where this is headed for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even it's like, look at that. I mean, like, look at where they are now, you know? Yeah. And Holly, I I did have to like figure out what she was going to do. And she's kind of zigzagged around it was like okay she's doing peep show is she going to keep doing something like that no she was I know she was like working on writing a novel um I don't know if she's still doing that (laughs) we're all writing novels Um, out here in LA yeah well I mean it'll be interesting to see in a post-covid world you know what happens to reality tv and what happens to all of these 
people, you know, and how we come back from this. I mean, I really don't know any of the answers for that. And it's one of those things that we'll go through it together. Um, but it is, you know, it almost thinks you almost think of like Vanderpump rules early days of like the, you know, the, you know, old school Hollywood. And like when, when reality shows were fun mm-hmm. and when, you know, it was like fun to watch these people cheat and get drunk. And as we grow older, there's something that doesn't sit as well as you get older because you start realizing the, the, um, not the failures in your own life, but really what life is and how dark it can be. So you're like, God, imagine what it's like for them. Oh yeah. Well, and it's also, as we have started to evolve from the early two thousands of like, Oh, maybe it isn't a good idea to, um, make fun of Britney Spears in the middle of a mental breakdown. Now, you know, are people going to look at these shows and be like, Oh, maybe this is like too dark. And I don't want to see like Kim Richards in the back of a limo, like picking through trash. Exactly. We're, we're now have this, this narrative with Britney of, we should have protected her and we should have looked out for her. And we let the paparazzi chase her. Is that going to be the narrative for Jax Taylor someday of like, we saw all the signs and we didn't help him, you know, like, is it going to be put back on us, the fan for making things happen? And by the way, I do. Britney is a completely, I I realize that's an insane comparison to make. Uh, I do realize Britney is insanely talented. And I was very, if you've listened to this podcast, was very moved by the New York Times documentary. And I still to this day have no clue what's happening over there. But it is interesting when you think about it in terms of, you know, are these cries for help from these people? And we're just not ever giving them the actual help that they need. Well, when it comes to Jax, um, he can suck it. Like, I, I, I don't feel like he's much of a victim. I don't feel, no, you're I'm, right, not, you're right. I'm not worried about him. I, I, I do feel like what could happen and I, I shudder to, to say it, but yeah. if one of these reality stars ends up, you know, killing themselves or something, and then we kind of look back and say, Oh yeah. Yeah. All the we, signs were there. We did see all the signs. Yeah all the signs were there because we were watching them on a reality show. Uh, I think that could potentially reframe people's perspective on reality shows. I do have to comment. You guys, her season opener, she had a fucking conversation with Tara Reid. Oh yes, I did. What was that experience? As we start wrapping up, what, what is that experience like to, I mean, she is an icon in so many ways. What was that like? Um, it was, it was interesting. I mean, I was, I was nervous because I, I really didn't know what I was going to get as all you all can imagine. How did you get her? How did you, how did you reach out to her to get her? It's so funny. Um, she tweeted, I think I should do more podcasts. And so I just like DM'd her (laughs) (laughs) and I had, I, I had some of my listeners, um, tag her. Um, and, and say like, oh, you should do this podcast. And then, so I DM'd her and her manager was like, yeah, sure. Let's make it happen. <laughs> it was pretty easy. Was the man, was the manager on the whole time with you guys? No, it was, it was just the two of oh, us, wow. a very intimate experience. Um, but yeah, she was really nice. I mean, she's a perfect example of what we we talk about, though, in terms of fame and being really, you know, and when I talked about those barfly with Hugh Hefner, Tara Reid was there a lot. I remember oh, yeah. when I would be at Barfly, Tara Reid was always in there, you know, always having fun. And 
it's interesting, you know, did you guys get into it uh, about her career and stuff and like where it is now? And I know she's kind of like Sharknado lady now, but did she talk about any of that? Oh yeah. So I, in preparation, I had listened to a few interviews with her and I was hoping that I could kind of do something different from what other people had done and just kind of make it like a lighthearted thing and like not get into like the tabloid stuff, but just like, tell me about clubbing in LA. And, um, but she really, I got the sense pretty quickly. Like she didn't really want to like elaborate too much on that stuff. Yeah. So then we ended up, uh, then I kind of switched, switched course and just did what kind of all of her other interviews were, which was just like going over everything in her career. Um, so we talk about, uh, the big Lebowski and we talk about, um, American pie. And Carrie, by the way, has cats. the funniest line in big Lebowski. I mean, people don't realize oh, yeah. that's, that's another one who really had a very cool movie career in the beginning of her career in terms of the projects she was associated with, even into Josie and the Pussycats, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, Josie and the Pussycats is just, it's Did the best. Did you know that Adam Duritz from Counting Crows wrote some of those songs that Josie and the Pussycats did? No, I thought, um, I always thought it was the guy the Fountains, who- Fountains of Wayne guy? Yeah, but I guess, he, oh, I- Yeah, he, did, did, he did a couple, he did, well, he supposedly did uncredited rights oh. on some of those songs. And I was always like, oh, of course, yes. Of course. Yes. Yeah. It's so good though. It, like, everybody watch the movie- listen to the soundtrack. The soundtrack is a bang. It's like one banger after another. Truly. <laughs> that is one of those. I don't love um, like popular words, like, you know, normalize and things mm-hmm. that get overused, but I do love banger. Banger is one that I'm like happy if it always stays. I don't want that to go away. I want to always well, say bangers. It's, it's a perfect word. It it's, well, there's nothing that can replace it. It, it really it it's, just, a, it's a happy word. Like it's banger a happy means word. good. It means like it's a happy word. Um, Dara, I really could talk to you for hours and hours, which I we've know. done already. Um, thank <laughs> you so much. Uh, I can't believe it's taken this long, and and I hope to go to you for more pop culture uh, uh, dives as this podcast continues because it yes. really is. You just have such an amazing uh, mind and love for this stuff, and I really can't thank recommend you. your podcast. Um, highly enough. And in fact, I think you're going to start even selling, you got to sell merch. I saw you ask that the other day because yes. I, so you guys go check out her logo. It really is. I, I mean, I don't think I could pull it off as a dude, but like, <laughs> I love it every time I see uh, your logo because Ledoux, I was Thank around, you. I was a young buck in Los Angeles when Ledoux meant something. Ugh. And it is such a time and place that I really romanticize be, I mean, I, and also I ran a club called Monroe's on Melrose and we had, oh, yeah. uh, this is, this is where Lindsay was, uh, of legal age and we would let Lindsay in all the time. Um, yes. pair, we had, uh, Jason Davis and Misha Barton when they were date when they were dating inside, oh, they had sex God. in the upstairs bathroom. Uh, we yes. just had all the, all the greats for that time period came in and I got to, I would be up in my office refreshing Perez Hilton. And then they like, I remember certain nights they would be like those actual people would be oh, in the club. I'm you know? so jealous. I didn't come to LA until 2013 and that was all over. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was 2005, 2004. Like I was, well, before that I was like oh 2001, 2002. Uh, 
And uh, I mean, we even had like uh, uh, DJ AM used to spin, um, you know, rest in peace, DJ AM. But <sighs> I mean, that, that's when I first found my love of like mashups and stuff. I was like, whoa, these DJs we had in were like, you know, Mike B and DJ AM and all of these really cool DJs that I was like, I didn't know. I wish I had girl, <laughs> I, but I, man, I worship at the altar of girl talk. I mean, Same. girl talk means so much to me. And by the way, somebody wrote in to complain about the mashups the other day that I play in the show. Oh, really? Like, yeah. They're not everybody's cup of tea. I said, they're not everybody's cup of tea, but they make me happy at the end of the day. Like yeah. my favorite part of the podcast is when I spend an hour afterwards looking for the right mashup that I want to put in the show, you know? Yeah. It's also like people, it's a podcast. We're, well, we're... I, I appreciate I appreciate people taking it seriously because I take it seriously. But at the same time, you're like, well, me creatively, this is what I'm yes, doing. Yes, that's that, what I'm that line how, how you would do your podcast. But I hope you can appreciate that I love it and use the timestamps and you can skip right past it, you know? Exactly. It's This is a creative outlet. And guess what? Everybody can have a podcast, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, so how do we support you? So Ledoux, you remember, this is the podcast. Mm -hmm. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of the pod outlets. Uh, If you do on Apple Podcasts, give it a five-star review, you guys. Where else Mm -hmm. do we support you? Um, Instagram. uh, Lay, do you remember this? Instagram supporter. Please. You just Um, had a big week on Instagram a couple weeks ago, I uh, saw. I had a big week. I mean, I, I, I got something like 4,000 extra followers and what happened? Um, what did you post that like made it explode? Uh, just someone who followed me who had like a pretty big account in Australia <laughs> was they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm leaving Instagram. Um, but follow these couple of, um, Instagrams instead. And so now I have, um, a pretty strong showing in Australia. <laughs> I love that you're doing good in foreign markets now. That's just very like Randall Emmett. You're yes. really doing huge in foreign markets. Yes. But um, well, you know, and what we should, we should really want to do um, a live podcast night where we should get a bunch of LA podcasts together. Yes. It's like me, you, and we should do like a so bad it's good. Do you remember this kind of night of yes. video clips and and uh, a live podcast? I really think that would be hysterical and fun and all of that. I, stuff. That's like my dream. I would love, 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 love to do. We that. could be the Lilith Fair of podcasts. Oh, my dream, <laughs> my dream. You guys, I'm going to post all of her information on the description. Uh, and also, it'll also be on the Instagram post as well. Um, is there anything that you would like to leave us with? Any, uh, a song, uh, maybe anything? Oh, oh, a song. <laughs> Which, yeah, no, I just like to be, would you like to sing for us before we leave? Yeah. Oh, well, I did do a community <laughs> musical theater in high school. I, I read that in your, uh, I read that in your bio. We didn't get into a lot of this. Uh, it says you love animals. You love long walks on the beach. Uh, oh, but yeah. ladies and gentlemen, the artist Dara Lane, the podcast, uh, do you remember this? And, uh, we will hopefully speak to you very soon. Now that we uh, have this conversation line on this podcast open. Betches.